This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun dun! dun. Welcome to That's Messed Up. I am one of your hosts, Lisa Traeger. And I'm Kara Clank. This is an SVU podcast where we talk about Law & Order SVU. We talk about the true crime the episode was based on. And then we interview a person from the show. And um, wow, today is a, is a huge one. A huge one. You guys are going to have to listen to... Some of you don't get spoiled and want to just wait till the end. But you're going to have to listen to like an hour and a half of recapping and crime before you get to the big one, which is our guest today. Um, but first, no, we'll do a little check-in chat. It's huge. Our podcast is so cool. Um, <laughs> you know what? Last week, we were chatting about resolutions, and we didn't think of one. But now, as I grip my cell phone, my goal was... I'll say it right now, because it's before the holiday break. Manifest, manifest. I want to take Instagram off my phone all of Christmas break. Wow. I want to read a book. I want to hang out with my family. I want to be creative, write new jokes, work on sets. I, maybe I'll write yeah. a movie. I waste eight hours a day on my phone, minimum. I wish I wasn't exaggerating. It's like truly, because I remember watching Ingrid Goes West being like, oh my God, what a loony bin. Like, I can't believe her yeah. character can't even be on a toilet or brush her teeth without her phone. And I, I'm on my phone all the time. I can't stop. And I don't want to completely shut it off forever and ever. I don't have anything to prove. And I love Instagram, but... We'll see next week. We'll catch up. <laughs> but my yeah. goal is while I'm home in Skokie, 
maybe even in New York, I want to get the fuck off my phone. Yeah. Off of it. I wish I could also do like a, um, I don't know, I could control the screen time controls that like tell me to get off or whatever, but I just, I don't know. I'm on and off, but I do wish the time I spent scrolling like at night, even if it's 10 minutes before bed, that I was reading a book instead. Yeah. And I should just do that. So I think that's like maybe a real, so we'll see if I accomplished that on Christmas when we meet up um, and around New Year's. And then if not, I hope I just work on my phone stuff this year. I think I forgot that that is um, ruining my life. So yeah. yeah. (laughs) Did you think I might have said weed? I'm never stopping. I don't care what anyone (laughs) says. But it also does provide us, like you have such a wealth of knowledge of random crap from the internet that does provide us a lot of the fodder for our intros on our podcast. Well, yeah, because my good friend Frex, she was just like, girl, you don't need to make declarations. Like, even if you take Instagram off your phone for two hours... That's probably more time than you ever stay off of it. And so it is a thing where like, I'm such an extreme person and that's why I flop when I try to make changes in my life because I'm all or nothing and I don't know how to just find balance. And that was a reminder where it's like, oh yeah, I could just like take it off for one night while I'm watching a movie, you know, something like that. There's also like some kind of um, app that my friend uses, you know her too, that is like you can just set it to these hours. I don't use any social media. And they like won't let you on these places for just like for whatever hours you set it as, you know? So then you don't have to do all the uninstalling and reinstalling. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, send that. I also want to get on Rocket Money, Red Rocket, something like that. Not Red Rocket. That's like a dog dick, I think. But <sighs> I think it's Rocket Money. <laughs> What's that? It's, um, I heard it, it was one of Trixie and Katya's many ads on their podcast. Um, it basically, well, you're too organized. You don't need this. Um, it shows you all the subscriptions you have. Oh, yes. I hear them talking about that. Yeah. And that, because I know I have some, I know I've signed up for some stuff that's out there and it kind of just helps you right away delete everything and like get your money in sorted. Yeah. And so um, maybe that's a goal for me as well, but. Yeah, it's still, it's the 10th, though, like. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. Everybody just, yeah, this episode is wide releasing on the 10th, which means that in two days, we will be in beautiful Indianapolis at Helium. So come see us. Tickets are at thatsmesseduplive.com. Also, you can get tickets for our Northeast dates at the end of the month, which are Philly on the 19th, New York on the 20th. Boston on the 21st and Hartford on the 22nd. And then also Vancouver in February for the Just for Last Festival that's in Vancouver. So, yep, any of our tickets will always be at that'smessedupplive.com. And we'd love to see you guys. Our live shows are really fucking fun. And you guys are half of what makes that fun. And I would say we're the other half. And the nachos on your table are the third half. And Yeah, and then the nachos are the fifth character in Sex and the City. And hopefully by next episode, Carol has watched White Lotus. <laughs> I will. That's my fucking resolution. If I don't watch White Lotus... By the time, uh, like, we record our next episode, I'm gonna, I don't know what I'm gonna do. It's making me crazy. Oh, you know what we haven't talked about that I would love to hear about? Um, Picking up the Christmas tree with the kids. I mean, we'll have to, like, catch up on what happened over the holidays later, but yeah, um, how was picking up the tree? How was going to the gardens for the lighting? Like, how is that? It was so cute. Like, we had a cute little day. We went and picked out a tree. We get a real tree because I love a real tree. I love the way it makes my house smell. 
And Rosie picked out one that was crazy. And I go, okay, we'll get that one. And then we got a different one. And because, you know, she can't tell once it's strapped to the top of the car. What was crazy about it? All the branches were super floppy. It was like a weird green color. I was like, of course you want this one. You're so like on the, off the wall. So like, I just was like, yeah, sure, we'll get that one. And then that's not the one we got. But then she actually, this was the first year. She's three and a half. This is the first year she really like helped me string the lights, hung ornaments herself. And Oscar, I will say, was psychotic the first day, knocking everything off the tree. And now he's really like, we go no tree and he's really stopped. He's really holding himself back. And I really appreciate that. I'm like obsessed with Oscar right now. I love that Oscar is a cat. Yeah, he is. He's a full cat. I'm really obsessed with him right now. He's talking so much. He's repeating so many things. He's so smiley. He runs around. He can like really communicate with us right now. And he's like just melting my little heart every day. But um, we took them to the lights Discanso Gardens is this place in LA that has like botanical gardens kind of and they do this huge like light display thing it's at night it's called Enchanted it's very beautiful and we took them a lot of my friends go and just like take mushrooms and walk around it's like really cool to go without kids too but then we take kids at 5.30 and um, and you can get a drink and walk around with a glass of wine or like they have these like spiced mule yeah, cocktails you guys still have not brought me there once you both have like a yearly membership and not once have I been brought to the gardens I'll take you but you gotta come to the, the nighttime stuff is fun the daytime it's like I don't know what are you gonna like come look at turtles with us and our kids maybe you want to you're welcome anytime I do love turtles but I, I you know I want to do the nighttime wine yeah I you gotta do, do enchanted yes okay next year you're coming to enchanted with us okay but I thought Oscar would just stay in his um, seat he was obsessed he was because there's all this stuff where you can like step on lights and they change colors and he was going fucking nuts. I swear to God, that place is miles wide. He walked the entire thing himself, like pumped. He went to a huge group of elderly people and went, hi. And they all started laughing and that scared him. And so he started crying. <laughs> it was like a really funny day. Um, but, you know, just fun little Christmassy things with my kids. And now that this is right before Christmas. You know, guys know we're on the time machine as we always are. This is right before Christmas. So now I'm finally going to have next week to like figure out, you know, what Santa's bringing my children and we'll see. Rosie wants a gun that shoots toys. Does anyone know what that means? I think it's a Nerf gun, but I can't be sure. Maybe just get her a t-shirt cannon or something. <laughs> no, like for Maybe kids. just get her a t-shirt cannon. A, a, a t-shirt cannon for kids. I can't... <laughs> Well, because you're not like, into guns. You're not into guns. So I'm trying to like think exactly. I'm trying to like so may, not have, so maybe have a, a cannon. She, she also doesn't need to get exactly what she asks for. Exactly. You know I mean? Exactly. She's asking for a lot of wild stuff. And she says Santa can make anything. Um, she did yell at me because um, I said, oh, I hope Santa can find that. And she goes, Santa makes all the stuff. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I love she talks to me like I'm an idiot all the time. And it's really funny. Um I bet it'll be funny for approximately six more months and then I'll be like, stop it. Um, but yeah, what else is... Well, you also posted this meme about how ever, like how people are always like, oh, you don't know how terrible it has to, to have kids, yeah. but then no one ever um, preps you for all the great things. Yeah. I but is that this true? Because isn't the whole thing where people are too like, it's the best, it's the best. And then you have a kid and you're like, why did no one warn me about this stuff? And that's what I thought the reality was. <laughs> so I was interested in that meme of like, 
Or are the good things just better than you anticipated? Well, let me clarify, because this is a quote from Rob Delaney. He's a famous comedian actor. Oh, well, um, this is so sad. And he wrote a book. He's had he's had the loss of a child in his life, and he wrote this book called A Heart That Works. Uh, he is a stand-up comedian, actor, very funny guy, and he's had the loss of a child but has other children as well and just talks about parenthood and stuff, and I think that whole situation is life. And he posted this, someone posted this quote from his thing that said, you know, he says whenever he meets people that are having babies, he says, that, or they're about to have of their first kid, and they say, I'm nervous. He goes, you've got this. I'm so happy for you. You're prepared for all the bad stuff. You know what it's like to be tired. You know what it's like to be in physical pain. You know what it's like to worry about money. What nobody prepares you for is how wonderful it can be. Like... And that's, I'm misquoting it. You have to, the quote's out there somewhere. But I do think that's true. I feel like it opens your heart up in a way that you just haven't felt before. But I also think that how hard it is, is downplayed for a lot of people. Like, because you're right too, you know? You're right too. Like, there's definitely times where I'm like, wow, like, I just didn't realize this was gonna fucking change my life so much. You honestly can't be prepared for how much it's gonna change your life, but I do think that it really resonated with me, like, wow, like, sometimes I just, like, look at them and I just love them so much, and I'm like, wow, I just didn't know I had that in me, you know? Yeah, this is such a left turn, but I opened for Rob Delaney years and years (laughs) and years ago in Milwaukee at Turner Hall, and it was like a really exciting thing. I drove up from Chicago. It was like a big, it was like, a, it's a thousand seats or something like that, or 800. Yeah. Like, it was like a big deal for me. And I had opened for a few people there, but it was a really cool venue. And as I walk out, I don't know if I've told you this before, everyone was chanting, Rob, Rob, Rob. And then they saw me and they all started to boo. And so I walked out to um, like a thousand people fully booing me. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Yeah. What's wrong with that audience? They wanted Rob, baby. I don't know. I also think people are mob mentality people and one guy fucking started booing and everybody followed. Like, yeah, that's so crazy. And I'm sorry that's your memory of him. I mean, no, he was great. We talked about Wicked. We talked about life. I mean, he was so nice backstage. I have no notes for him as a human backstage. And after the show, he stood in the back and met every single person at that show. And said, hey, if you don't mind, would you please boo my opener on the way out? And that's what happened. (laughs) And I think I said something like, can you guys just like, let me do my jokes at least? Or like I said something like, but in my, yeah, but um. That's what's so great about comedy is you do get um, humbled quickly, often, constantly. You you can't feel too good about yourself for too long. The scales will rebalance. No, no, it's really good. No, I have nothing bad to say about him. And, um, you know... What a loss. And I'm, I'm not glad. It, it It is positive or good that he was able to write this book and hopefully um, help people that need to read something like this. I think he has like a lot of beautiful insights about this. And like also somebody being a comedian, like I definitely think sometimes he posts stuff and I just like start crying looking at his Instagram because I can't imagine what he's gone through. Like his, I don't know what it is about him, but there's something about, cause I've, I've met him and I've followed all his work for a long time. And like, there's just something about like, I don't know if I can read the book. I truly don't know if I can read the book. I think it might be too hard for me, but that quote, I don't know. It spoke to me for a second and I posted it and people have been um, agreeing with me. Some people are acting like I said it. And I'm like, I, it's clearly a repost. <laughs> so not only not my Instagram, but it's also someone else's uh, quote. But um, yeah. What do you think? Should we get rolling into today's episode? It's such a jumbo one and it's so good. And I don't want to wait any longer before you guys see our big surprise guest at the end. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. 
right. So tonight we're doing Home Invasion, season 13, episode 14. Now, we open up on the ENBGHD Sports Network, and it's New York versus Alabama. They couldn't be at least a little realistic with this. What does ENBG even stand for? <laughs> Not a sport in the name, maybe basketball, but what's the G? Like, I don't know. College. Like, I'm trying to figure out this network and the, like when New York would play Alabama ever. Like, NYU doesn't do sports. What is this? What is this? Yeah. Alabama with, doesn't have a right, pro with team. College. Yeah. And Alabama. You're right. That's so weird. It's so weird, and I just am so curious what the network stands for. If you guys have any ideas, please write us and let us know what ENBG could be for college, university. It, I can't, not even one word is popping out because a basketball would be. Yeah, because like NYU, they don't have any sports. I don't know, but they're not good. I mean, but they're not they good. wouldn't be they playing would never Alabama. be televised. Right. No, maybe they would be, but like I just feel Alabama call they don't have a professional sports team, so college is all they have. Yeah. So even if they're not like a popular state or something, like people go there to play sports. Yeah, I don't think Columbia plays Columbia has sports, but they don't play like televised, I don't think. Anyway. No. They're probably playing the other Dork Ivy Leagues or whatever. <laughs> um, playing Well, that's why Northwestern is bad. I someone told me. Um that they don't give athletic scholarships without academic grades. Like, you have to be super smart. Oh, yeah. And so that's why they are not that good, I think. Yeah, because, like, one of the biggest morons of my school went to Columbia for football. And I was like, how are you going to an Ivy League school? Like, you can barely string a sentence. I mean, so. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but it is really hard, I think, to be an amazing academic athlete and be a athlete athlete it's like our when do you find yeah. the time as a high school kid so whatever that's uh, of course we do a five minute intro on the sports network that's not even <laughs> fucking real so you're, you're like who's watching tv it's a man drinking beer and sweatpants next to him is a young teen um and she was also in the episode bombshell where her dad is in love with rose mcgowan who's actually in love with her own twin brother so yes. that is who she is. <laughs> um, and Lisa's obsessed with her straight across eyebrows. And yes. when we've talked about Bombshell in live shows, she's always like just calls her straight across eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. Her eyebrows are so of this era. We were all guilty of overplucking, taking out arches to just set little <laughs> sticks. She's just a victim of her time. Her real name is Lauren Kelly, and she quit acting in 2013. So hope she's well. Um, a mom in blonde highlights uh, with a Rachel type haircut is in the living. <laughs> room too but she's using a chair and then the ottoman as a desk uh, manila envelopes are out she's working the teen is over the game and she gets up to go study and her dad won't let her study a truly homer simpson like you're my good luck charm and he forces her back down onto the couch the doorbell rings um, and he's stuffing his face with snacks and beer and he tells his wife, like, go open the door. And before he can even say the rest, she goes, yeah, yeah, two minutes left in the game. So she gets up in her dress shirt and belt in the home like, babe, put on a sweatpant. What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? I, I don't okay understand. To relax. Yeah. Uh, oh, OK. I'll even like suspend my disbelief that you're wearing denim in the house, but with a belt. I just don't understand. So she grabs her wallet and walks up to the door, um, expecting the Chinese food they ordered to be there. But instead, it's a man in a classic bad guy ski mask. Boom, boom. He shoots her twice. Fuck. 
So we cut straight to Amaro Rollins discussing what they're going to eat. So they're also debating Chinese or Italian. <laughs> and I think they're like on and off in this episode. You know, they're like in fucking vibes, I feel like. Um, yeah. Right? Or is this too early? I don't, I think it might be too early because I don't think, I don't think that they do anything until he's fully separated from Maria. Oh, but you're right. I do you're need right. to get an idea of the Rollins Amaro timeline because it feels weird but i remember like rooting for them well they're both hot why not yeah i was like they should get together they're cute they get the job like i don't know well and they're both annoying we were both anti that this was like yeah season 13 is rough because maloney had just left and i don't think we were ready to usher in the new squad like at the end of the day i gave it up for a few years then had to come back and because i couldn't but this is a this is a trying time for SVU fans. And so they were both annoying. They both broke rules. They both seemed kind of selfish and slutty and bada bang, bada boom, as they say. Yeah. So Cragen stops them from leaving. They're not going to have Chinese or Italian because there's a shooting in Yorkville. Two fatalities confirmed. So two who survived. We'll find out. Rollins is like, OK, but why is SVU going? This is just a shooting. And it's because it's the home of Joan Eckhouse, who is chief counsel for the New York Gay Rights Coalition. And Liv and Finn are going to meet them on the scene. The mom is dead. Liv says messy crime scene while walking past the dead mom. And Amaro said the delivery guy saw them and called it in. There's no forced entry, no sign of robbery, nothing. So then the killer uh, moved into the living room to the husband and daughter before they could react. The dad is killed. Um, and there's like loose popcorn stuck to the blood around him. It's like oh, a God. really messy crime scene, as Olivia said. And then the daughter, 14, Emmy, is in surgery with a bullet in her head. So we're hoping that she makes it. A tech hands Amaro, I think... Um, like shells or bullets or something in a bag and they found them in the wall and she goes good luck finding down finding out what happened so she um thinks it's like a complicated situation as well amaro recognizes the bullet and says it's a winchester 357 sig is it, does that mean anything to you no no yeah no. um but he says it's one way to send a message then we see live on the wall uh behind live there's um spray painted on the wall queers in black with a line through it and benson's like i've seen my share of hate crimes but execution of a whole family that's a uh, extreme <laughs> and outside, <laughs> rollins is with her best friend finn with a teen boy and his dad and they run up to the house because they heard sirens and they're like is everyone okay and it's emmy's boyfriend he wants to know what happened they say emmy's at the hospital he turns and goes are you happy now dad it's all your fault so rollins and finn look confused as the son runs off and the dad follows his son and we're at the credits with a nice little cliffhanger up there so we're back at the crime scene as people are carrying out the bodies and the boyfriend's telling rollins and benson how emmy was supposed to come over Emmy sounds like M.E. Melinda Warner. It's like kind of um, hard or not. The Mel or Melinda was supposed to go study with her teen boyfriend and her his dad said no. Yeah. <laughs> So Emmy was supposed to go, come over and study. The dad made him cancel. He's like, I hate that. I was grounded. But my dad loves teaching me a lesson all the time. Always a lesson. <laughs> and he says that Emmy comes over often to study, but his father saw her as a distraction. And they've been together eight months. Um, they weren't fucking because Emmy took the abstinence pledge. And it's like, well, did you, sir? Did you take an <laughs> abstinence pledge? Or did only the girls have to do that? 
So the dad's talking to Finn and Rollins and says he knew uh, the dad's Sydney, but not the mom because Joan was always working on her gay thing. Uh, they ask how the dad felt about the teens dating. He says they were on the same page that the kids were way too intense. And he said a month ago, there was a cop car parked outside their apartment, but he has no idea why. And like he really got no information about it. So they, they have no info. So we head to the Gay Rights Coalition. They're talking to a woman in the office about how her and Joan were working towards the gay marriage bill. And so they got lots of hate mail and threats. Um, and there's a record of threats she'll gladly hand over. But Amaro's looking at all the framed photos in the office, taking it in when the coworker, like, you know, starts off again, giving more information. She's like, she was super spooked last month. They had a lot of calls, hangups, and um, they felt like a car was following her and Emmy. And Benson asks if that's why the police were there a month ago and the ladies like, no, Joan didn't tell me about that. And then Amaro actually pops in after taking in all the photos and is like, wait, you're the public face of it. The comp- This organization, it seems like. like. All the press, all these photos are you. Why would they attack Joan? She starts to cry and she says it's probably to get to me. Okay, self-centered. And then admits um, that her and Joan were involved. Done, done. Uh, done, done. And they're like, okay, who would have been jealous? And she says, no, no, no. She was the love of my life. Um, we were just waiting for Emmy to get a little bit older to leave Sydney. And then we were going to get married. And she cries and drops her head in her hand. And this is like such like... Um, Confusing teaching, and I know olden times, they just didn't know stuff. <laughs> olden times, a.k.a. season 13. But why do people? Why do parents think their kids would rather parents fight and hate each other and have no physical affection and live separate lives? Like, why do parents think that's better? I know. The whole staying together for the kids thing is wild to me. Like, I had a friend who I had to, like, counsel about this when I was, like, 28 and, like, had not even had kids. And he was like, I just, like... My wife and I don't get along. We never have sex. We hate each other, basically. And they had three kids. And I was like, so why don't you... He's like, the kids. And I'm like, do you think this is a good way to show your kids what marriage looks like? I just don't get it. But I know it's more complicated than that. I know there's, like, finances and other things that have to be considered and living situations. But I just... It's just not better. You're just setting up bad examples and then your kids are going to stay in bad things. I just like, Mm -hmm. Emmy's a teen and it's, I just, I really don't get it. But yeah, the finances. I didn't think about the finances. Um, But it seems like she had the money. No, yeah, I'm just saying in general, when we talk about this in general, it's not always easy to just be like, yep, let's walk out and end it. You know, I'm sure there's like more complicated things. But when people are like, well, we just don't like each other at all. And we're just staying together for the kids. I'm like, I don't get that. Like, that seems like your whole family life is based on a charade, but. Well, yeah, and you, it's just like you only have there. Kat Cohen has like a funny lyric or line in one of her shows where she goes, "Am I going to spend my one like good life to live being mad at my arm fat or something like that?" <laughs> where it's just like you have one life. Like, what are you doing, wasting yeah. it? But okay, you know, at least she's getting fucked on the side by this woman. So. Anyways, then comes in Isaiah Whitlock. I can't believe it. Um, And he's the guy that goes, she. (laughs) And he is walking and talking with Rollins and Finn saying how this is going to fuck up their stats. So I'm assuming he's homicide. And Finn is like, let's get it done. And he says that SVU will have the lead and they'll help in any way Um, they can. But when Rollins says they want to talk to Martinez and Parker, he's like, why? What do you want with them? And Finn's like, well, they went to the Eckhart house about a month ago and we need scoop. He's like, well, those two are not in my department anymore. They were moonlighting for a bookie, so 
he we can't have that. And we let them go. Their boxes are on the desk. They didn't even come back for it. We cut to Craig in it with Benson and Amaro asking if there are any updates on the girl's condition. Benson says the bullet is removed and she's in a drug-induced coma right now, but they're not going to know how she is until the swelling goes down. And they're like, what about boyfriend and dad? Benson responds to Cragen that these kids seem super in love, but the dads were not for it. And they looked through the emails between the fathers to confirm those feelings. So Cragen then asks, um, what about the coalition threat list? And they're like, it's all anonymous hate mail and phone calls. And Cragen's like, yeah, that's a huge jump from like, you're a dumb bitch to executing a full family. Um, Amaro says that Joan's partner did tell her that she thought someone was stalking her. So Cragen asks, like, is anyone jealous of the affair? They're like, no, no, no. They were really fucking discreet. So Rollins then finally is like, maybe I found something. Um, okay, the, there's a report responding to the Eck House residence. It was a domestic employee incident where a housekeeper, Carmen Vasquez, claimed that Sydney had assaulted her and he told um, the officer that she had been stealing jewelry. Amaro's like, I don't think this housekeeper is just gonna like cap everyone in the house. Like, this is not, I don't understand. <laughs> so Finn's like, yeah, but her brother just got out six months after doing four years of um, for armed robbery and assault. So Finn and Rollins go back to the Eckhart's to take catalog of valuables and see if the brother could have been tipped off by the housekeeper and like stolen stuff. And Amaro and Benson are gonna go visit the Vasquez family. And who is it? It's Orange is the New Black star, Elizabeth Rodriguez, who plays, how do you say this name? Aleda, I think is how you said her name in the show, yeah. Um, and she plays Aleda Diaz, who's D- D- Daya's mom. <laughs> and Daya's <laughs> the one who gets pregnant with porn stash um, and ends up becoming a cold-hearted bitch in jail. Yeah. Um, but, um, so Aleda's amazing and she has an extensive resume and she's been working for a very long time and, um, she's great in this episode and she's like, we've been praying for her. How is Emmy? She's like, she was a daughter to me. I've been taking care of her since I was two months old. So I, you know, since she was two months old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) What did I say? (laughs) Since I was two months old. An amazing babysitter. (laughs) (laughs) Boss baby. Um, But they bring up her departure um, and she was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I left because Emmy had school and plans and activities and I needed more money and hours. And Amaro's like, babe, honey, are you sure it didn't have to do with the police? And she snaps in an instant and is pissed off. It's like, I never stole any jewelry. I would never. And Benson is being a little passive aggressive and is like, well, nobody said that you did. And she's like, well, Sydney said I did. Um, But he was fucking lying. Joan had a benefit and she couldn't find her earrings. And she's like, I was there for 14 years and he gets into trouble and he blames me. And she's like, and the cop took um, his side and I had to keep my mouth shut. And Benson's like, slow down, slow down. What kind of trouble? And she's like, he pawned those fucking earrings himself. He was a gambler and owed big and sold off his autographed baseball cards already and his watch. And they're like, Joan um, didn't know about any of this. And she's like, you know, they lived together, but they lived apart. And Benson says, I'm sorry, but we have to ask you, where were you Friday? And she said, Bible study, like most people are that, you know, on Friday nights <laughs> and and they were like well what about your brother and he actually leads the sessions um, and he turned his life around he found God and um, so it cuts to a little dinky church uh, it has nice wooden flowers but haphazard curtains this is like um this is a makeshift church, I would say. Mm-hmm. And he's leading a prayer for Emmy and he loves Emmy and he's a very aggressive prey guy. Like he is, he's very Mary <laughs> Cosby, Salt Lake City. Um, yes. If you guys are uh, followers of that. And he clocks the cops, he nods at them, he knows what's up. So he's like, let me finish the song. 
we'll we'll talk later. And he knows why they're there, and he's glad someone's fighting for Emmy since she's an angel. He says, um, you know, he was on Bible study with six other members of the congregation, um, and they can all vouch for him. And he's like, a lot of them have records too, though, but we're all on a righteous path. And this is the thing. I think mega churches are, like, fucking gross, obviously, but this shitty church, too, it's like, I don't trust, like... If God liked you, like, wouldn't you have a better church? <laughs> like, what's worse, a shitty church or a mega church? Probably a mega church is worse. Yeah, because they're taking the money to, like, I don't know. By Bentley. I'm sure a shitty church is, like, putting the money to good use. Yeah, to the electric bill. I, I don't yeah. know if they have any <laughs> any oversight. I mean, any, what is it, profit at the end. Yeah, I think mega churches are worse, but it's like I want a nice church, but but simple design. Like I don't know. Um, Benson's like, but I just like as a follower, I'd be like, yeah, weird. I wonder why my leader can't get it together. Okay, so Benson goes, I'm glad you're all being good. You do have to name names, and he said anything for that girl. That's my angel. And they ask when he met Emmy. He goes, meet her. I've known her since she was a baby. I taught her how to ride a bike. So they were very close with the family before the arrest. And he says, and after Emmy wrote me and would visit me, uh, people desert you after you go away, but not her. And they're like, well, did she ever tell you about her home life? And he goes, oh, the father? That man wasn't right. He'd even have that girl place uh, bets for him. And um, he would get wasted and send her to the bar to send bets. So they go to a bar. I really love the name called Murph and Surf's Pub. That's cute. We hear an Irish accent. He says, whatever happened to the NYPD? Did all the white guys retire? And he's like, no, nah, I'm all for affirmative action. And Finn's like, we're here to talk about one of your former clients. And he responds, he responds with a fart noise. And the caption said, blowing raspberries. Yeah. Is that a saying? Yeah. Like blowing raspberries is when you go like on a little kid's tummy or something. It's like giving them a raspberry, you know? Yeah, it's uh, anyway. This guy also, for anyone who's like me, a Sons of Anarchy head, he was in the gang on Sons of Anarchy. That's why he's so hot. I was like, this guy's hot, of course. Sons of Anarchy, just like booking all the hotties. Yeah, the White Lotus of the early two thousands, maybe all the hotties, (laughs) all the hotties. I mean, I don't know when I'll start stop talking and bragging about knowing Megan Fahey. She probably (sighs) has long forgotten about us, but I'm just like. So, Megan, um, she does respond when I message people. What's this hottie's name? Did he play a biker? An Irish biker? Did yes. he have an accent yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, and then d- down the line, there's, like, a connect with, like, Northern Ireland and, like, gu- guns coming over from there. He has a whole storyline with that. And, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, Amaro's like, my four-year-old knows better than that. That's not even a burn. No one cares. Um, But anyways, and then this man starts pouring salt on his hand. Like, I don't know what Murph is up to. Uh, Amaro gets aggressive and is like, Emmy, she was here either placing bets or drinking underage. Whichever one you want to go down for it. Let's go, bubs. So now Amaro and Benson are sitting with him in interrogation, flipping through files like, um, damn, I guess serving minors alcohol is just the tip of the iceberg. He has full Felonious assaults. He broke a man's legs and arms. He's cracked a man's skull with a baseball bat. And then he curb stomped a dude. But Amaro's like describing what a curb stomp is. And it's like, we've all seen American History X. We don't need like a how to. But he has two pages of crimes and Buchanan's defending him. So big bucks, big bucks and no morals. Uh, Benson says it's dangerous owing you money, huh? And he says these are very good stories. But you know what else is good? Twilight. They say it's just for tweens, but I do love those vampires. 
I love that. That's like the funniest thing ever. It's really good. Buchanan lets them know that there are no convictions, just charges. So let's go. Like, we're out of here. And Benson splays out the crime scene photos and is like, there's a 14-year-old girl fighting for her life and two dead parents. So nobody is going to wriggle out of this one. And the Irish says, that's horrible. Buchanan's like, listen, he didn't commit these crimes. None of the two pages. Like, he's not involved with everything. And even if all those crimes on those two pages were him, none of them involved a gun and every victim survived. So it's outside of, like, you know the what is it signature and then also it would serve an alleged bookie no purpose a dead man pays no debts so they've been gotten good points are made buchanan's worth all the money finn is also not making waves in the case he said he says all six for six in the bible study say they were there the whole time with jimmy and um what about the jewels that were missing and rollins says they tracked the jewels to the pawn shop on the lower east side and all the tickets were in sydney's name craigan's like damn okay um hopefully benson and amara are onto something so he turns around to leave and walking into the precinct uh, center desk area is Buchanan with his bookie client. And while Finn and Rollins are brainstorming about like, what about the boyfriend? What about this? What about that? Rollins starts talking about a dog park and then the bookie clocks Rollins and Rollins looks worried and panicked and he smiles at her. Finn asks, what was that smile? And Rollins turns around and goes, jealous and but she's she's holding in her panic but the bitch is panicking she is panicking yeah so now rollins is filling up her gas tank of her big ass truck and grabs her receipt and as she turns around bam giant punch into the stomach by the irish guy and then officer parker is there too and um the irish guy looks like wow it looks like the two of you have something in common meaning like bad cops and parker picks her up and then the irish punches her in the stomach again parker (laughs) kneels down as he tells her why are you laughing because you just keep calling him the irish it's so funny (laughs) um parker kneels down and tells her you're in deep to the wrong guys sweetheart i hope you're not dumb enough to talk to your captain and the irish says if you do you won't see us coming you'll just be gone you understand she nods he calls her a good girl and that's a trend on the internet right now do you know about this no i feel like the youth are talking about like who they want to call them a good girl and who would be disgusting if they said like you're a good girl oh got it yeah that's like um what the internet's doing these days so she barely can bring herself up she breathes so hard she's in pain obviously there was a commercial break on nbc okay <laughs> like our detective gets punched there's a break god those punches are so intense too like ugh. it's like full doubled over and unable to breathe like awful punches yeah so it's like murph working out you know what I mean? Like, how do you get so good at punching? Um, Finn walks uh, behind Rollins at a bar and says, uh, and she's like, thanks for coming. Um, she's like, I got a problem. And Finn says, that Murphy guy, right? Like, he's been a detective for decades, Rollins. You're not going to catch one on him. She explains back home it was just football pools and CAA, the Derby. She liked the action, but it wasn't serious. But since she's been to New York, it's gotten out of control. And she's 20K in and the juice every week. Is that interest the juice probably the juice okay or yeah or maybe like money to keep going like keep i don't know I don't know. Finn asks if he always knew that she was a cop. And she's like, no, 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 no. She told him she was a bartender. And not only that, she like checked him out and like saw where he made the payoffs and like then followed Murphy to a social club in Hell's Kitchen. And Finn knows it's a bookie joint. And she dug around and the boss's name is McCourt. And I guess he's a really scary guy. And she says Murphy knocked her around and threatened her. And Parker was with him. And Finn is like, they hit you? 
are you okay? And she said, okay, we got, we got an update. Juice. Juice in sports betting is the cut a bookie takes from every bet. Yeah. So it sounds like it's probably like weekly interest or something. Also called the Yeah, the VIG. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Why, but why do you need bookies? They have to take the bets. Oh, because they have the pot. Yeah. <sighs> Whatever. I think it's easier. I don't think people need bookies anymore. I think you can ruin your life online really easily. Yeah, just now on an there's app. more online. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to get punched by an Irishman at the, yeah. <laughs> the gas station. Um, so, but I like But also, I wonder if online you can't go as far either. Because, like, your credit card can only, like, will max out at a certain point, right? Like, if it's all online. Yeah. Like, in real life, you can be like, okay, I can get some earrings or I can, like, you know, whatever. And you can just fucking keep going. And maybe online, like, curbs it a little bit more because it's all, like, I, pre- like virtual money or credit, you know? Yeah, it was weird because when I went to the horse track, um, there was just like a group of men at the TVs yelling like they didn't even care about the horse. Like they didn't want to see they weren't there for like an ambiance like let's do the races. Like they were just inside huddled with their tickets. Yeah, they weren't like I love to watch these majestic animals race. It was like, give me my money or yeah, I'm about to lose my car. Yeah, but I do love that Finn is very protective of Rollins, you know, um, he he's just like, are you okay? What do we gotta do? He j- he cares so much, mm-hmm. and and then she goes, anything else you want to know about your new partner? And she swigs her beer, and Finn goes, okay, here's the deal: we'll take the the creeps off the street, and we let them know who the hell we are. Then you have to cl- you have to come clean to the captain, and then dramatic music plays. We cut to a sting operation at the bookie place, and Murphy is there, and a lot of other whites. And uh, Parker and Amaro cuffs his ass, and they actually went to the academy together. L O L. Murphy tries to sneak away out the back, but Finn gets him and punches him in the gut and goes, "You know what this is for, right?" And he says, "Sure, but tell your girlfriend she's going to be very sorry." And Finn is like, "Okay, is that a threat to a detective?" And he goes, "Detective, that bitch is a degenerate. Your girl." sick and he busts his face onto the bar and Murphy bleeds out of his mouth and I fucking love it <laughs> this is this is where this is he where gives him Finn sort of like a ba- it's like a baby curb stomp it's like not full teeth it's just like a head slam onto a table yeah I, I bet Finn went to the strip club after this day to blow off some steam yeah it's also like that gift that they have that or it's like not a gift but it's like a TikTok of Olivia Benson slamming that guy's head and it's set to like it's like holla back girl and it's just Benson over and over again smacking a guy's head. The internet and the joy it brings me. I know there's a lot of horrible stuff, but the memes are so funny and good. <laughs> and I love the ones where they do music to people falling off hot tubs or like a horse on a plastic slide. Like, I love the integration of music and accidents. Okay. Cinematic accidents. Yeah. Yeah. So Amaro calls Finn into McCourt's office and he's and he says, big mistake. Opens the drawer to the side desk um, and goes, I want to end this. And Amaro's like, you're going to bribe us? He's like, nah, I got enough dirty cops i actually don't need any more <laughs> um but these envelopes are in a drawer and one says crosby and that's sydney's code name and he's like open it and the night he died his team actually made a miracle comeback so he had a bunch of money ready for him the night he died and finn is like so you're mad he won and he's like nah if he won he would just lose it to me again sydney was a gift that kept on giving why would i want to kill him good point so do bookies never murder I think that at worst, they would murder someone in your family. Like, dead men pay no debts, but, like, what if they kill your wife, your brother, you know what I mean? Like, to send a message or hurt those people. But I don't think they kill you if you owe the money. 
So now it's Rollins and Finn in the office. And Rollins is like, damn, so these guys didn't kill them. And we're back to fucking zero. Um, But Finn is like, that doesn't change what you have to do. And she puts her hot tea down on the desk and she walks into Cragen's office ready to confess. She thanks Finn very sincerely one last time. So they both enter Cragen's office and he's just hanging up the phone. Emmy's out of a coma. So she's awake. Cragen's going to meet Benson in tomorrow. They're now saved by the coma girl waking up. Okay. <laughs> like this is perfect. So we're now at the hospital. The doctor's filling our peeps in. The bullet went through Emmy's skull, but she's good. Her brain functions intact. Her vitals are coming back and she's a tough and very lucky girl. She's chatting and knows um, who she is and the surroundings, but they don't know if she's going to have any other memory or brain issues. Nobody has visited her besides the staff. The boyfriend's been in the waiting room the past few days, but they haven't let him in yet. No one's gone in there. So the doctor brings in the detectives. Olivia and Amaro slowly approach Emmy like she's a gazelle and they're like a nature photographer. And (laughs) they're speaking in very soft tones. They fill her in that they're trying to figure out what happened last night. And she asks where her mom and dad are. Um, and Benson's like, well, okay. Who, first, I wanted to ask you, what was the last thing you remember? And she's like, I remember feeling angry because she couldn't go to her boyfriend Rob's house uh, because his father said no. And she remembers watching basketball with her father. And she remembers nothing else. And again, she asks where her parents are. The violins start thumping and they're dead. Okay, they're dead. No, she asks. She goes, are they dead? Benson says, yes, I'm very sorry. Emmy's in a bandage with tubes in her nose. And she's like, who would do this? And uh, and why? And Amaro's like, we're trying to figure it out. And she's like, where is Rob? Please, I want Rob. I want Rob. Amaro actually has a question for the doctor and is like, hey, babe, why do you have her on antivirals? And she t- she spills the beans. Is this not a HIPAA violation? Not yeah, to sound anti-vax, she's not gonna, but, but she says she's not going to say something, and they say this could this could affect our investigation, and that's when she spills. Okay, but even still, it's like uh, maybe it's because she's underage and it could be abuse. But like, I yeah. just thought I was really shocked when she spilled like this beans. Well, uh, yeah, no parents or guardian nearby. Like, yeah, but it, I think she thought they told her it was like material to the investigation, so she so she spilled, yeah. Yeah, so basically the surgery triggered a herpes outbreak. So they react like, excuse me, what? Like we all are as viewers of this um, since she did sign this abstinence doc. And um, the doctor's like, you know, this actually isn't that unusual for sexually active 14-year-old girls. And they're like, yeah, but she said that she wasn't fucking. So they go to visit the Fisher apartment and the dad is like, my son is not fucking and does not have herpes. Um, And Benson goes, has he been tested? And it's like, no, but (laughs) he had a checkup. Like I'm assuming the herpes would have come up. He's also 14. He still plays with Pokemon. Pokemon cards and Benson um, asks well could Emmy have had other boyfriends and the dad's like you have to talk to her about that she told Rob that he was the first person she ever kissed and Amaro pushes like do you believe that he's like listen she came on too strong moved too fast there's just something super needy about the girl she was desperate and clung to my son like a barnacle but he didn't know what her problem was Benson looks angry Amaro and Benson are now outside and they're like okay absentee mother adolescent girl left alone in the house with their drunk father, virgin, but has herpes. Ugh, wouldn't be the yeah. first. And then Benson goes, wouldn't be the first time we tested a corpse for STDs. Like, girl, what a job. <laughs> what a job. <laughs> we cut to Rollins and she has to go speak to Cragen and she starts to talk and Cragen's like, Murphy already ratted you out. So r- shut up. Um, I already called IAB so he didn't have any leverage on you. They're going to interview you. Anything else I need to know about this? Did you run any plates? What did you do for him? And Rollins says, no, I was just gambling. He says, good, then you're lucky because eventually he would have 
anywhere. If you were desperate enough, you understand. I really should take your gun and shield right now. And Rollins knows, but he says, I will go to bat for you against IAB if this is truly the extent of it. And she assured him it is. He says, okay, um, it'll probably be just like a command discipline and I'm going to take 10 vacation days from you. But free time isn't your friend, is it? And he asks knowingly and Rollins is like, yeah, I think that's part of the problem. And he stands up and walks towards her and he's like, listen, I get it. I've been where you are. Um, This job could really weigh on you. And he starts um, divulging about his drinking problems. Um, He was like, you know, first, like as soon as I was off duty, I would start pounding. And then I would just have a few on the job to get through it. And I thought no one noticed, but my captain could have canned my ass. But instead, he got me help. And while Rollins um, is listening, she says, wow, and wipes away tears. And he says, you're a good detective, Amanda, and I don't want to end your career. And she she says, I don't want that either. And he says, I'm going to get you help. But if you screw up again, you're gone. And perfect acting, perfect crying. There's even snot action. This bitch is killing it. So then Benson and Amaro do a knock-knock, wait for a come-in, and burst into the office for gossip um, on the case and see Amanda visibly crying. And they're like, we can come back. But they're like, no, 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 what's up? So there's a lab report. The dad and daughter do have the same strain of herpes. Disappointing, of course. Cragen says um, every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. I don't know if it's time for little quotes, but okay. Yeah, so- I, I thought that too. I was like, this seems like a little bit more than unhappiness. It's full on cr- criminality. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks for the Instagram quote, Craigs. <laughs> Rollins and Benson make a intense eye contact, but nothing is spoken about. And Craigan just says, uh, find out who else knew. So they all leave the office to go back to work and solve some crimes. We're at the hospital and um, Emmy's still in her big ass bandage, but she's walking outside of her room with a nurse. And Amaro's sweet. He's like, hell yeah, girl. So happy to see you on your feet. Um, and she says she's feeling better. But like, why are you guys here? Did you find who killed my parents? Uh, Benson um, actually wants to chat about something else. And Benson's in a private room with Emmy and tells her they know what was going on between her and the father. And she tries to deny. And Benson's like, come on, girl, I'm a detective. Um, but she is like, no, no, no. Like, he wasn't the best dad. But I mean, I, I, and Benson stops her and is like, it's OK. You don't have to cover for for him anymore. And whatever happened is not your fault. And then asks when it started. Emmy says last February, um, they went skiing in Vermont and the mom left early to probably cheat on the dad. So (laughs) just the two of them that first night and he had been drinking and Benson asks if it was the um, like one time and she goes, no, he drank a lot. But then she goes, why does it even matter? He's dead. And Benson's like, did you ever tell anyone about this? And she says, no. She handled it herself, and it's fine. Please stop. Nobody knew, not Rob, nobody. Benson's like, there are people you can talk to and will help you. And she's like, if you want to help me, make sure Rob never finds out. I never want Rob to know he would be disgusted. Please don't tell him. Benson agrees, and then Benson and Amara walk and talk um, through the hospital walls. Um, Wait, but did you ever um, notice how dry the girl's lips are? I did it. Oh my God. The whole time her lips are like cracked in a minute. Like they're like, and I was like, is that the hair and makeup team? Like, can they, they're like chapped, which would happen if you were like in a surgery in like a coma for a few days, you know, like unless they're applying lip balm. And I was like, her lips are so dry. I'm sorry. I just had to point it out. I'm surprised you're, you always have an eye for everything. Well, no, maybe I was too busy typing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why it takes yeah. two. This one I was watching more. Yeah. 
so then um, they're like talking. They're like, do you really think Rob didn't know? And she's like covering for him. Um, but they're like, yeah, but that doesn't even make sense. Like kill the dad. But why are you shooting Emmy? And so they're like, let's recheck the forensics. So Rollins and Finn are with Rob and his dad. And they're asking about Emmy's dad. They're basically like, what more do you want from us? And they're like, are you sure you're not telling us something? And like, what about the dad? And he's like, yeah, he was a, jer- a jerk who drank all day. And what do you want? <laughs> and Rollins keeps pushing. And the dad is like, what is this about? And Rollins um, is like, keep going, Rob, and ignore the dad. And he explains that after Carmen was fired, Emmy spent all her time over there and she was very close to Carmen and she was more of a mother than her own mother. And she would visit Carmen and beg her to come back. So Emmy just hated being alone with her dad. And they all make my eyes at each other in silence. And now we're back at the precinct and they got Carmen in the hot seat and they let her know Emmy told us about the father and we know that you were close and that like she told you. And she goes, he was a sick man and brought evil to the whole house and look what happened because of it and Benson's like yeah and you really really love her and protect her and she goes yeah and that's how you know I couldn't have done this because I would never have like shot her and while Benson and Finn are with her Rollins and Amaro are with the brother and they're trying to see which one of these two did the crime knock knock on the door and Cragen's there with the forensics report and both Sydney and Emmy's DNA were on the bullet removed from Emmy's skull which means that the like that's why she probably survived because it didn't have enough oomph. Like it went through the dad and then into Emmy. And so that's, um, so it was not a purposeful attack on Emmy. And, um, it, and so then Amaro goes, Oh, it must be like weighing on our preacher. And so Amaro's like, I'm going to do what cops do best lie. So he goes in there and says, um, Emmy didn't make it. But to me, it's like if they were so close, wouldn't Emmy have called them from the hospital or wouldn't they have visited? You know what I mean? Like they've raised her since she was two months old and she didn't like message them. Like, I feel like they know that she's alive. But he says, um, so he goes, that's not possible. Robbins and Rollins goes, yeah, post-op seizure. Uh, The post-op seizure, like now that's in my head now because of the uh, Andy Carl episode. Oh, Yeah. You know, we all thought he was going to be fine, and then he wasn't. So yeah. um, that's going to be in my mind now. From like from now on, I will never believe anyone is okay. <laughs> Amaro pushes the paper with the DNA results, and it's gonna. And he starts being like, you know, playing with Jimmy. And on his weaknesses, there's a little Spanish, a little prayers sprinkled in this. <laughs> He's like, it's gonna eat at you, Jimmy. You want to lie to the cops? That's okay, but God knows the truth. Um, and he goes, Emmy is looking down on you too, and she knows the truth. And he starts praying. And Amaro's like, if you want God to forgive you, you have to forgive yourself too. You're a preacher. You know the answer. If we confess our sins, then something will cleanse for the wickedness. The Bible, yada, yada. And um, he turns to Amaro and goes, that's John 1-9. You're a believer. And he speaks Spanish. There's snot coming out of the brother. We jump back to Benson and the sister nanny. And she's like, you don't understand. I tried. I went to her mother and she didn't believe it. I was just getting back at, she thought I was just getting back at Sydney for firing me. And um, she's like, so it was, what, is that when you decided with your brother to be heroes and kill them? And she's like, my brother? He didn't know about this. And Finn walks in and says, then why did your brother just confess to the crime? He planned it all. And she goes, no, he's lying. He did that to protect me. She says it was all her idea. And Sydney was raping her. And she starts to cry. And Emmy was thinking of killing herself. We had to save her. And it cuts back to um, the brother talking about the devil. And he knows that they're out there because he used to be a devil. And that man wasn't right. So she he shot him. 
I saw her. I knew she was there right behind. She went down. He cries. He would rather take that bullet. He's like, I'd rather take that bullet myself. She wasn't supposed to be there. He keeps crying. And again, he says, like, she wasn't supposed to be there. And he punches the table and cries into his wrist. And Rollins is like, she was supposed to be at her boyfriend's, right? And he's like, I know, I know. And Amaro's like, well, who told you that? Carmen? And he goes, no, 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 no. Uh, he, and they're like, well, how did you know? And everyone stares at each other while more dramatic music plays. You know how they usually say, like, New York's the, the other character in a show? Like, the dramatic music is another The violins character. are the other character in the show. Absolutely. There's so much drama um, in this episode. Benson and Amaro and Cragen are brainstorming, and Benson's like, maybe she mentioned it to Carmen in passing, like, small talk, and Amaro's like... Or she helped set it up. And Cragen's like, we got to find out and um, see what's up. And Benson's like, fine. But like, she's a 14-year-old victim of sexual abuse in her own home. And Cragen's like, sure, but there are other ways she could have handled it. Cragen's like, I hope to God um, she is not involved, but we have to follow through on this. And they all look at each other as they go to torture this girl. Benson walks in and she's still bandaged up and Rob is chilling with her. Amaro closes the door and Benson starts to tell her that they talked to Carmen and Jimmy who confessed to killing the parents. And Robin's like, why would they do that? And Amaro's like, wow, okay, he really doesn't know. And then it's like, why are you... Why are you blowing it? Why does she have to tell him? I don't get why they have a hard on mm. for this. Obviously for drama because it's TV, but I'm like, leave her alone. She doesn't have to tell him anything. So they push her to tell Rob the truth about her father. And she goes, it's not your choice. And I agree with her. So then Rob is like, Emmy, what are they talking about? And Benson pulls up a chair and sits down and says, I know this is hard, but there won't be any secrets when this goes to trial and it will go to trial. And I think it's best if he hears it from you. She cries. She turns to him and says, my dad forgot that I was his daughter. And he's like, what does that mean? And she cries and is like, don't make me say it. It was horrible. And Rob is like, why didn't you tell me? I could have helped you. And she's like, well, I wanted to be pure for you. I didn't want you to think I was dirty. And this is like a very important lesson because this is a huge issue with like purity and abstinence culture is um, and why young victims don't come forward because it's shameful for them and they think they're dirty. And I just like this was such a like one sentence moment, but it encapsulates so many issues that we instill Mm -hmm. in young people and why this sort of languaging is so fucked up. Mm hmm. Um, and then Rob is like, I would never have judged you. I love you no matter what. And Amaro's like, um, well, one thing I didn't get when Jimmy confessed, he kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She wasn't supposed to be there and you weren't supposed to be there, were you? And Rob's like, no, she was supposed to be at my house. And Emmy's like, it wasn't part of the plan. And then they're like, what plan, Emmy? And she goes, Carmen and Jimmy were trying to save me. I told them Friday night, my parents will both be home and she was supposed to be at Rob's house. And she told them to write queers on the wall. So the cops would think it's a hate crime. And Amaro's like, okay, your father, I get, but your mother? And she's like, my father was just pathetic. He couldn't help himself. But my mom, I hated her more than him. Benson turns to Amaro and says, she knew. She, Emmy cries out, she let it happen. Carmen tried to tell her, I tried. Everybody thinks she's some kind of hero, but she was more worried about saving the world than about saving her own daughter. And Amaro's like, Emmy, we're going to have to arrest you. And Rob's like, you can't take her. You can't do this. Don't do it. And she's like, it's okay. I'm free. I'm free. And they hug and cry. She says, I'm free now. Benson looks down. She doesn't want to arrest her. We're now with Rollins and Cragen walking into a meeting. And he says, you're here. It's the first step. And she smiles. She walks into the meeting as Cragen stares in the doorway looking. And she sits so aggressively manspread style, like totally dangerous minds. Like her legs could, like her legs probably took four fucking subway seats. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. Uh, And this is difficult because I don't want anyone going to jail. 
I don't think that this girl will end up going to jail. She's 14. And she, it's not like she paid for it. It was like she just told these adults like what the schedule was of the household. I feel like any good lawyer would be like able to get her off. And like she was 14 and she thought this is how I get out of a horrifically abusive situation. Like she'll go to maybe juvenile and then be out. Yeah, but I don't want Carmen and Jimmy to go to jail either. I know. But unfortunately, yeah. All right, well, let's get to this fucking new crime. I wish that they could have just gone to the police, maybe? Like, I don't know. Yeah, but I just wonder if that's not part of Jimmy and Carmen's culture, especially since Jimmy served time. And, like, I don't know where, you know. I Yeah, that's true, too. They might be raised in a place where you don't don't involve the cops. But they did get six members of the congregation to back him up and say that he was at Bible study. They all lied. Yeah, or Bible study ended early. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Like his full alibi was like his congregation. I'm obsessed with on um I don't I, I Lacey's um scam goddess podcast how she calls her listeners the congregation. I think that's so funny. Um okay, but well we've got a uh interesting crime when we come back, so don't go anywhere. <laughs> Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens, and of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club, and there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Um, So this episode is obviously could be based on a lot of things. Like if you go to like the wiki or other resources on the internet, like there, it's like the Menendez brothers are listed. Like there are a lot of cases of people who have committed parasite, which is um, killing your parents. Like I ran in, I, I saw one case where there was a woman named Stacey Ann Lannert who was 
convicted of the murder of her father, Tom, in 1990 when she was 18, and she testified that he had sexually abused her since she was eight, and that seems similar. She did get life in prison, but then got out after 18 years, so I'm happy that she was able to get some of her life back. So maybe our girl is going to jail. But she was 18. I don't think 14 that they're going to send her to, like, an adult jail, but, you know, maybe not. And what's the uh, vibe with the Menendez brothers? Did they, are they good or bad? Well, the Menendez brothers claim their parents were molesting them, but apparently there's like not a lot of proof of that. And it's something that they came up with like later to justify like that. I watched the whole Ryan Murphy crime story about the Menendez brothers. And that was kind of when I learned more about it. Because I think the original like media presentation of it at the beginning was that they were just like these two rich boys and they wanted to kill their parents because their parents were like not giving them enough money and they wanted to just like be able to spend and live. And then they said that they were being molested by their parents. So I, but I do not know. But also I think that the Menendez brothers did it themselves. Anyway, the... They're just my, the most famous, I bet, like people that killed their parents. But But I think I'm ready to focus. Yeah. In terms of having a third party kill your parents, I think this is more related to the story of Jennifer Pan. And before you all send me a message, I do know that My Favorite Murder has covered this, but it is uh, this is a different podcast. And so um, this and also the Jennifer Pan case was unfolding like right as this episode came out. So that's why I think this is what it's more based on. Jennifer Pan is a Vietnamese Canadian woman raised by her parents who immigrated to Canada from Vietnam. Her mother's name was Bic Ha Pan and her father's name was Hue Han Pan or Pan is the last name. And she was, and she had one brother named Felix. Um, so they, these people met in Canada, got married, had their two kids and they worked their fucking asses off. They worked for an auto parts manufacturer near Toronto. They counted every penny until they bought a super nice house, drove like Lexuses and Mercedes and had $200,000 in the bank. Like they were living like, quote unquote, like the immigrant success story, you know? And so they were pretty demanding of their kids. Jennifer was like in piano lessons from age four. She was doing figure skating. And apparently she was going for Olympics until an injury kind of put a toe pick in her dream. And now some friends and classmates said that her dad was, quote, a classic tiger dad while her mom just kind of like went along with it. Um, But they monitored the kids pretty closely, like no dances, no boys, no parties. Um, And then the pressure apparently really got to Jennifer and she began cutting herself at a young age. She had a classmate um, named uh, Karen Ho who wrote a full profile on her for Toronto Life. It's in my sources. And um, they had known each other like kind of you know, peripherally at school, but she knew about her and she wrote this whole um, article about the whole story and everything that went on. And I think tried to portray a little bit more of Jennifer's side of things. And the, and uh, they went to Mary Ward Catholic Secondary School in North Scarborough, which she said was a great place for Jennifer because at that school, like academic ambition was like considered cool. Like being a nerd was cool, but also being a jock was cool. Like every, it was very like bohemian and everybody was cool, which is wild for a Catholic school. But um, they, she said Jennifer was a social butterfly. She got along with everybody. She'd been a really great student earlier, like maybe in elementary and middle school. But by the time she was in ninth grade, she was like a C student. And she would forge her report cards and make it look like she got straight A's. Like she full exacto knife and glue and like would like, you know, photocopy and make new new po- like uh, report cards. So when she hit 11th grade, Jennifer met Daniel Wong, who was a grade ahead of her. And they were in band together. And he was this like sort of funny goofball, easygoing kind of guy. And they were just friends until when they were on a band trip, she had an asthma attack. Daniel helped calm her down. And she said, quote, he pretty much saved my life. And then they started dating that summer. 
By her senior year in high school, she's like making Bs, but she's still forging report cards to say that she's got all A's. She does get accepted early into Ryerson, um, which is a university in Canada, but then she failed calculus and couldn't graduate high school. And so she lost her acceptance there, but she lied to her parents and said that she was going to the school and that eventually she was going to go on and do like a pharmacology study and that that was her dad's dream for her that she would become a pharmacist i think and so they such a funny dream to have for somebody i know it's a cool job like i have to go to the pharmacy today and pick up a prescription very grateful for pharmacists but for your dream to be for your child to be like holed up in a little room in the back of a (laughs) of a walgreens is funny to me of the yeah. whole world. Like you could like you can work everywhere and anywhere. And it's like you better get to the back of the CVS to fulfill yeah. my prophecy. Well, it's weird. I'm wondering if maybe he like thought she was gonna could be wanted to, wanted her to be a doctor, but then does pharmacology require going to medical school or just going to pharmacology I think so. school? No, I it's a long process. Okay. Cause I was wondering if like, yeah, it is weird to specifically be like, yes, pharmacology, I want you in pills, girl. This is where you're gonna shine. Like it's weird. But that is was like what he wanted her to do. So she's like keeping up this ruse. She's fully living a lie, this girl, okay? She attended a pre-orientation program at the school, even though she is not going there. She's forging loan paperwork and telling her dad she's won a scholarship. Like she handles everything when her parents have a question about like what's going on. And she'd pretend to go to school every day. She was actually just going to the library, doing random research on like sciencey stuff and then taking like notebooks full of notes to like keep up with the act in case her dad like asked to see her notes. She also started waitressing and teaching piano lessons on the side. And her dad would ask her about school. And this one article says her mom would say, just let her be yourself and like would stop. Like, so it sounds like a lot of the pressure was coming from the dad in what I've read and not as much from the mom. And so she kept this up for two years, like the first two years of college. Then she told her parents she's been accepted into the pharmacology program at the University of Toronto, a lie. They're so excited. She convinces them that, Like, the commute is too hard, and can she go live with her friend um, for a few days a week to, like, ease up the commute? That was a lie as well. She wasn't even going to her friend's place. She was going to stay with Daniel and his family. And then she would lie to his family and say why she was there. Like, couldn't she have just, like, done calculus in summer school? (laughs) Like, I just... I I know, but I think it was like they would have... Yeah, instead of waitressing, you could have just taken the calculus on the side, but I think it was, like, more psychological than this, and she just built up the lie and built up the lie. Yeah. And so... She was really going to stay with Daniel. So now two more years go by and she found someone to, now it's time for her to graduate and she found someone to doctor a transcript of all of A's. And then she told her parents they couldn't come to graduation because like, oh, it's like so many people are graduating. They only give us one ticket and I don't want to choose between you two. So I'm just going to give it to a friend so they don't go to her graduation. And eventually the dad did start to catch on to some of the lies. Like, Eventually, she tells them that she has this job working at a lab. Um, And he's like, why don't you have like a uniform for this lab or like an ID badge or anything that like shows that you work at this lab? So one day they insisted on driving her to school. I mean, school to the hospital. He makes the mom follow her into the hospital. She sprints into the building and like hides in the waiting room, like hides in the ER waiting room until her parents leave. But they're on to it. So they call her roommate, um, her alleged roommate, whose name is Topaz, which I love. And Topaz tells them the truth, that she's not there and she's like really never there. And then they confronted Jennifer, who confessed that the lab job was a lie and so was the pharmacology program. She still didn't tell them that she never graduated high school and never attended Ryerson. So she's like half confessing. Her father is furious, tries to kick her out of the house, but the mom like calms him down and gets him to like, you know, walk that back. 
They take away her cell and her computer for two weeks. And at this point, she's 23 years old, by the way. She's like 23. They make her quit all of her jobs except for the teaching piano they let her do. But they keep a strict eye on her. They watch the mileage in her car to make sure she's like not going all the way out to visit Daniel. And they say she can't see Daniel anymore. They're watching her like a hawk. I guess after this two-week period or whatever, they eventually ease up. They let her enroll in a calculus class so she could finish high school. She also keeps secretly visiting Daniel, but he's getting tired of the secrecy. He's like, bitch, you're 24. Like, can we move on? Like, so he breaks up with her. And he starts dating a woman named Christine. When Jennifer finds out about Christine, she tells Daniel two kind of wild stories. One is that she was gang raped in the entryway of her home by these men who busted in posing as cops. And she also said she got a bullet in the mail. Neither of these stories are true. And she tells them to Daniel because she tells them that these are things Christine has done to send her a message like, stay away from my man. Okay. So she seems like she's going through a lot psychologically. Like at one point she posts on Facebook, quote, no one person knows everything about me and no people, no two people put together knows everything about me, dot, dot, dot. I like being a mystery, end quote. All right, so this is what's going on with Jennifer. In 2010, so at this point, yeah, she's, well, I'm she's also, still- I'm curious about compulsive liars because I've met some, I know some, obviously, I don't know if it's this intense, but I'm curious- how that forms or like what happens yeah. psychologically, like what kind of break happens where you just like cannot stop lying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this case, I mean, you could- Like the lies I guess, haven't worked for you, girl. Like yeah. the, you got caught. I guess they worked for years. I don't know. This is Well, I mean, wild. I think you could argue in this case that her parents put a lot of pressure on her and that she built up the lies in order to create her an illusion of her own success to appease her parents. Yeah. And that it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and, uh, like, kind of just got out of control. So, this same year, 2010, that this is all going on, um, she reconnects with an old elementary school friend named Andrew Montemayor. And they commiserate over their parents. And he's like, yeah, one time I considered killing my dad. And Jennifer was like, whoa, what a great idea. I never thought of that. Montemayor introduces her to this guy named Ricardo Duncan, who's quote-unquote a goth in many of the readings I'm reading, like, because he had black nail polish. And she said she gave him $1,500 to do it, or someone said that she, someone said she gave him $1,500 and that he ghosted her and realized she realized she got scammed. But that later he claimed, he's like, I got offended when she even asked me, and I, she only ever gave me $200, and it was for like a night that we went out, and I gave it back to her. So he denied it, but who knows who's telling the truth there. So that was like the first attempt she made to, you know, kill her parents. Now, Daniel and Jennifer are maybe back together. They're definitely in constant contact and it's very flirty. It's very Amanda Rollins in those text messages. And they're coming up with a plan to have a hitman kill her parents. Like, like let's pay someone who's like a, like a legit hitman. And then let's get the $500,000 inheritance that she would stand to like get from her parents' death so that they could start their lives together. So Daniel connects Jennifer with this guy named Lenford Crawford, a.k.a. Homeboy. Everybody calls him Homeboy. And Jennifer claims she doesn't even know his real name. She only knows him as Homeboy. Homeboy says it's $20,000 for a hit, but he's going to give her a friends and family discount of $10,000. So he's going to do it for ten k, and she's going to be paid. She's going to pay them out of the inheritance, which that's promising a lot. These guys are going on very little promise of just like that the money's coming. Because sometimes I feel like that shit can take a long time. But anyway... A few days later, Daniel, after Daniel's helped move this whole plan into motion, he tells Jennifer, oh, JK, I love Christine. Sorry. 
And Jennifer, in text messages, Jennifer's like, okay, well then call it off with homeboy. And he's like, but I thought you wanted this for you. And she's like, yeah, but I have nowhere to go. And he's like, it sounds like he was just trying to get out of the whole thing. But then their texts turn flirty again. So who knows what's going on with these two crazy kids. So the next week, there's a bunch of calls and texts between Jennifer, Daniel, and Homeboy. And on the morning of November 8th, Homeboy texts Jennifer and says, quote, after work, okay, will be game time. Okay? So then that night, the night of um, November 8th, Jennifer was like in her room watching TV, Gossip Girl and John and Kate Plus 8, in case you were wondering. Uh, her dad, Han, is reading the Vietnamese news and then he goes to bed around 8.30. Her mother, Bic, was out line dancing and her brother was like away at college and wasn't home. At approximately 9.30, Bic comes home from class, gets into her PJs, soaks her feet in front of the TV on the main floor. At 9.35, a guy named David Milvaganam, who is a friend of Homeboy's, calls Jennifer and they spoke for two minutes. Then Jennifer goes downstairs, says goodnight to her mom, and then as she later admitted, she unlocked the front door. But then she later retracted this, this admission. So, but that's, the door was open. At 10.02... Jennifer allegedly signaled the hitman by like kind of switching a light on and off for a certain amount of time. And at 10.05, Milvaganam called again. Him and Jennifer talked for three and a half minutes. I don't know what they're talking about. Moments later, homeboy Milvaganam and a third man named Eric Carty walked through the front door, all three of them carrying guns. One pointed his gun at the mom while another one ran upstairs and shoved a gun in the sleeping father's face and made him get out of bed, come downstairs and into the living room. Um, and then upstairs, the guy, Cardi, he tied um, Jennifer's arms behind her back using a shoelace. I don't know how tight that could be. He, She gave him $2,500 in cash and then pointed him to $1,100 in her mother's nightstand. And then they went to the kitchen to like start looking for wallets. Meanwhile, in the living room, the parents are talking to each other in Cantonese. They're like, how did they get in? And the father's like, I don't know, I was sleeping. And then the hitman tells them to shut up and pistol whips the dad when he says that he only has $60 and calls him a liar. And then Bick is crying and begging them not to hurt Jennifer, like don't hurt our daughter. And then one of them says, this is the quote, rest assured, she is nice and will not be hurt. Uh, that doesn't really sound like the language anyone would use, but there we go. Um, Cardi leads Jennifer back upstairs, ties her arm to the banister while Milvaganam and Homeboy take the parents downstairs, cover their head with blankets. They shoot the father twice, once in the shoulder and once in the face. They shoot the mom three times in the head, killing her instantly, and then they take off. Jennifer reported that she somehow managed to reach her phone in the waistband of her pants to call 911, even though her hands were tied behind her back, so that's sus. She called 911, frantically yelling, help me, please, I need help, I don't know where my parents are, please hurry. At the 34-second mark on the 911 call, you can hear her father moaning in the background. He had woken up, covered in blood, with his dead wife next to him, and he had, like, made his way upstairs, crawling. Jennifer yelled down, I'm calling 911, or whatever, and then Han stumbles outside, screaming, and a neighbor sees him, thank God, on his way to work or something, and calls 911. The police and the ambulance get there. Han gets rushed to the hospital. So the police question Jennifer, 
and showed them basically how she did some kind of Cirque du Soleil move to get these this phone out of her pants. And the cops are like very confused by all the details of this robbery. They're like, so the keys to the Lexus were sitting right there. Why would these dudes not take the keys to Lexus if this is a robbery? Why didn't they have like a crowbar or some other way to access the house like other than the front door? They had no bag to carry any of the stolen goods that they were planning to steal. They didn't have zip ties or anything they brought to tie up the victims. Like even though it's a robbery, it feels like it's a murder. And so like that that's the goal of the attack. And the biggest thing they said is why in God's green earth would they leave a witness to their murder of two people? Like why would they not kill Jennifer? So the cops decide to tail Jennifer. And then a few days later, the dad wakes up from his coma. He was very fucked up. Like there's a broken bone near his eye. He's got bullet fragments in his face. He's got a shattered neck bone. But guess what? He remembers everything. And one detail that he remembered was Jennifer talking softly to one of the hitman, quote unquote, like a friend, and that she was not tied up. And so then they bring Jennifer in for an interview and they're basically like, the jig is up. And then she breaks down crying and goes, but what happens to me? So... Next, she tries to convince the cops that this was actually a suicide attempt gone awry. She said she wanted to die and hired homeboy to kill her, but she said that things had kind of improved very recently with her dad and that she called off the hit, but that these guys just decided to still kill her parents for like a robbery. So by the spring of 2011, this whole thing is like pretty much figured out. They're, they've charged Daniel Milvaganom, Cardi, and Homeboy, all with first-degree murder, attempted murder, and the conspiracy to commit murder. All the same charges that Jennifer is charged with as well. And then this episode comes out in 2012. So after all the arrests, but before the trial. The trial starts in 2014, and it goes on for 10 months. It has 200 exhibits and 50 witnesses testified. So it's like a big-ass trial. Jennifer took the stand and was on the stand for seven days trying to explain away all these texts with Daniel and these guys. And she tried to convince the jury like, yes, I ordered the hit in August, but then I didn't want to do it when it, when when November came around. And she said, she said on the stand, quote, I needed my family to be around me. I wanted them to accept me. I didn't want to live alone. I didn't want them to abandon me either. So this is a girl who like her own lawyer described her as having the social skills of a teenager. Like, I feel like she just didn't know how to grow up, but her parents also didn't, like, let her grow up. They, like, never let her go away with a friend. They never let her do anything on her own. Like, everything was so strict. And so she's like, my family is suffocating me under their expectations, but also what can I even do without them? Like, she's feels, I think that's, like, what kind of propelled her to build all these lies and then eventually get to this point where she didn't want her lies exposed. So she's a psychopath. I don't feel bad for her. Yeah. She would have killed well, somebody else. Like, this amount of... She's stone cold. Yeah. This is a stone yeah. cold woman. Like, Emmy in the in the show, I feel for her. I feel bad. I don't want her to go to jail. I don't want the babysitters. This These parents are terrible. This I'm like, well, thank God this bitch is away. I mean, we'll see the, the other. The other reason I agree, I agree with you pretty much, I do find, like, whatever, I think the pressures of the parents added to it, but... The mom seemed, it seems like in through everything I've read, the mom didn't do anything. So if you want to kill your dad, kill your fucking dad. You killed your mom because then you get the money. You know, if your mom lives, you don't get the money, you know, until she dies. So it's like she wanted the money. She wanted to start her life with Daniel and was madly in love with him. And like that was, so you're right. And like, obviously I know that the parents suffocated her and like she might have not learned, um, life skills but it's like you're in you're already in your 20s like you could have moved in with daniel you could have used your waitressing money like there 
I, I am just like this. If she didn't kill her parents, she would have killed someone else. She would have lied about something like she does not care about hum- like the, I do not think she cares. I don't think she has human emotions. Yeah, that was the other thing, too. And a lot of the coverage, they found like her to be very emotionless. But she had said like that she was used to putting on like what she called her happy mask to like for her parents to like act like everything was OK. And then behind that, like behind closed doors, she would like be upset and crying and like feeling emotions. But I don't know. I will say that when the guilty verdict was delivered, she showed no emotion. But then once the press left, she was shaking and bawling. So okay. I don't know. So she got, so there's something for her that's performative about other people and what other people are going to see and like the success other people expect from you or something that like, I don't know. So she got an automatic life sentence with no chance of parole for 25 years for the murder of her mother. And then for the attempted murder of her father, she got another life sentence to be served concurrently. Daniel Milvaganam and, and Homeboy each received the exact same sentence. Cardi's trial got postponed due to a sick lawyer. And in 2015, he got an 18-year sentence after pleading guilty. He pled guilty. Everyone else pled not guilty. He did not want to put the father through another trial. And so he... Um, got 18 years for pleading guilty to conspiring to commit murder with an eligibility for parole after nine years. Also because I think Cardi wasn't one of the ones who went down and actually shot at the parents. He had Jennifer upstairs. So maybe that's why he got like a bit of a lighter sentence. He did die in jail. So he is no longer with us. But it was, you know, I'm glad he committed. I'm glad he entered a guilty plea so that this poor old man would not have to go through another trial. Um, The judge at the sentencing of Jennifer ordered no communication between her and her family at the family's request. So basically, she can never talk to her brother and father again unless they remove that order. She's also forbidden from talking to Daniel. The father's victim impact statement said, quote, when I lost my wife, I lost my daughter at the same time. I don't feel like I have a family anymore. Some say I should feel lucky to be alive, but I feel like I am dead too. I hope my daughter Jennifer thinks about what has happened to her family and can become a good, honest person someday. End quote. I mean... You do have a son, but anyway, it's it's horrible. This man, like this poor man, he can't work because of his injuries. He has anxiety attacks, insomnia, nightmares. He's in constant pain. He's given up on all the things that brought him joy, like gardening and working on cars. He lives with near, he can't live in his house anymore because of the memories. And so he lives nearby with relatives. He's trying to sell the house, but no one will buy it because there's been like this public home invasion. And um, all of these people, all of the men, And Jennifer will be eligible for parole in 2035. Jennifer will be 49. Daniel will be 50 if they get parole. Who knows if they will? I don't know how Canada does their parole. And people, you know, still wonder if Jennifer had mental illness. Her lawyer did not present any kind of mental illness defense at her trial. And, but people speculate, there's all kinds of speculations for people who knew her in high school that her parents pushed her too hard and treated her like shit and that her lies just snowballed until she lost control. And according to, the South China Morning Post, this was this whole event sent shockwaves across Canada and the Asian diaspora. That's a quote about the shockwaves. Um, so in the Asian community, it was like, oh my God, like your child, the child killing, having her parents killed was like, you know, this huge story that really everybody was talking about. And um, I did read this one piece in Northwest Asian Weekly that was a maybe lightly in defense of her that said, uh, quote, the idea of recognizing that the mental and psychological symptoms that parenting may have gone too far in the pan household. So, but that is that on Jennifer Pan. She gives me Casey Anthony vibes in terms of her lying. Yeah. 
where it's like, you know, where they go to Universal or Disney and like through the offices and like same here, like taking to the ER or not admitting it sooner. Like the lies just got too big. This is bad. I feel so horrible for these parents. I know. And it's like. Uh, she could have moved in with Daniel, but I think she was scared to leave her parents. Like, I think that that didn't even feel like an option, like, of her leaving her parents. Yeah, no, I think murder is better. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's definitely not, but I think that she thought, this is a way where it's, like, out of my hands. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. The things people, like, convince themselves are wild. Yeah, but, it's just so fucking sad, dude. Ugh. But you know what's not sad? The guest we have coming up. Oh, people are going to lose their minds. Absolutely lose your minds. Please gather yourself together and prepare yourself for our guest. Listen, guys, it's guest time. And this is without exaggeration, one of the most important podcasting events of the 21st century. I'm not going to list credits because you don't need them. Our guest needs no introduction. From 2011 to 2022, she played Detective Amanda Rollins because we got to talk to the amazing Kelly Giddish. And here it is. Kelly, we are beyond thrilled. We, I feel like Barbara Walters and we got an exclusive. Like, <laughs> Well, thank you. We're really excited to talk to you. And, and you, hard to choose an episode. You've had oh, a lot yeah. of emotional arcs. Well, thank you for choosing that one. I just watched it as I was working out just now. And it's so heartbreaking, that episode. Yeah. I, so thank you. Thank you for, for suggesting that one. It was in my first season. And... It's it's a it's a really brutal one. Um. Uh, so yeah, your first season thirteen. What like what? How did the how did the Dick Wolf journey begin for you? Because I know my name is Kara. You played a character named Kara as a victim earlier in the season. Uh, in the in in your in you know I don't remember what season that was, but I don't either. Um, but yeah, did they just like? bring you in for this new character? Like, what was the whole audition process and chemistry tests and what? Well, so I'd gotten a couple of shows where I was the lead on, like, I, I did a lead, I did a show on Fox um, written by David Hudgens who did Friday Night Lights. It was an awesome experience. Lasted seven episodes. Okay, so then I get another, I get another series called Chase and it's um, Jerry Bruckheimer produced. And I was like, oh my God, and I get to do all these stunts and live in Texas and wear cowboy boots. And then it was canceled after one season. So um, my heart was completely broken, but I get this phone call saying, hey, Chris Maloney is leaving and Warren Light is taking over the helm of SVU. And, you know, he knows you. And would you like to come in for a meeting and just see what it's about? And I was like, yeah. So I went in and I met I met some um, higher ups in, in the Dick Wolf world, Peter Jankowski, and that meeting went great. And then I had a phone call with Warren and, you know, they were like, would you like to come out and test for this? And, you know, I was in LA, I was living in a three bedroom house in Topanga Canyon with just me and Franny, you know, like never shut the front door. I was just like living like that. And I was like, wow, the possibility of coming back to New York and being on this already iconic show. Um, so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come out and test. And so I went and I, I did a scene with Marushka and I think that they, they were like, can you, can you, um, can you ramp it up? You know? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> you know? And so we, um, Dick was there and Warren was there and, um, the whole company and, 
and it was, you know, it was easy to act with Marushka. We had an easy time with it. And I got the call that I had it. So I packed up my whole house and, you know, I was finishing up a film. That first day on set was hilarious because I had gotten killed the night before in L.A. doing this film by Gina Gershon. And I had like fake blood in my hair. I had to take a trailer shower, you know, like with terrible like pressure coming out of the... And so I, I show up to set and take a red eye from L.A. to New York. And I'm like, I'm here. And I go, I go to set and I do my scene with Ice T. And he was like, you do, you boo. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> and I, I rushed across town to do a fitting with The Good Wife. So it was like a whirlwind of a start. And did you know you nailed it? Like you were there with in the read with Mariska. And did you kind of leave being like, we crushed it? Yeah, I think I, I mean, I felt great about it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's like it's based on so many other things, you know, other than, you know, I mean, there's there's a spark that happens, I think, that that people respond to in a test or whatever when you're going out for a role. But if there had been another girl on the show that had blonde hair with a southern accent, I probably wouldn't have gotten hired. Right. You know what I mean? It's just like there's so much else that goes into it. But as it was, you know, the chemistry was there and I was ready, willing, and able to jump on a Dick Wolf show that had been on for over a decade already. Was it nerve-wracking because Maloney was so beloved? Were the fans, like, was that a wild time, season 13, like, starting off and having to, like, did that, was there pressure? Did you feel any pressure? Well, I gave all the pressure to Danny Pino. <laughs> 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 I just handed all of that off. I said, okay, it's, that's yours to handle. You've done network TV. You know, he'd been on Cold Case for years and he was the man coming in, you know, he had, I felt he had all the, the shoes to fill for, you know. Well, you mentioned in the audition that you guys ramped it up. And something that we talk a lot about the podcast is you guys, you and Mariska in particular are so good at getting like wet eyes, like, or like <laughs> one little trail. Like, it's just so impressive. And how do you guys, yeah, how do you personally get yourself to cry? Or how do you plan? Like, I'm not going to let the tears drop. I'm just going to have wet eyes. Oh my gosh, in this moment. I don't plan <laughs> is this any too- of that. <laughs> I don't plan any of that. Um, have you it. seen the show? Have you seen what it's about? Have you seen what you're having <laughs> yeah. to, to listen to and imagine? You know, it's, yeah. it's it's about such it's about people doing the worst possible things to to other people. Um, and if you yeah. just imagine the situation and really being there, it's you know, it's I don't know about crying or any of that, but it, the emotion and and your heart rate and like you know, I, I, it's all there. Like you have a a visceral response to it. Yeah, I mean, I felt like in this one specifically in Home Invasions where you're like, you're still kind of the new gal and now you have this big secret. And I, I, you know, that you really felt that like stress from you when he, when Finn is like, you got to tell the captain and you're like, oof, like, you know. I know, I was just watching it and I was like, and there's a moment where he's like, you know, you got to still take care of this. And I was like, yeah. And then I start to walk off and then I go, Finn. And I was like, what is she going to say? Like, what? (laughs) Like, what can she possibly say right now? And then uh, Rollins just said, thanks. And I was like, okay, all right. Because I thought you were going to give him back talk. And I'm like, girl, you got to get your ass in the in the <laughs> captain's office and come clean. I don't know what, what else you got to say. Um, so, yeah, that was that was crazy. And then it, it's Tommy Flanagan. And that was just so much. It was so much fun, you know, being able to play that. And it, watching, re-watching that episode, um, it just made me miss Dan Florick so, so, so much. I know. I love, love him. And then 
was um, the storyline with you and Finn always there? Or was it like your connection with Ice-T that kind of built upon it? But you guys seemed to have like a chemistry right from the beginning. Well, you know, you mentioned I was a guest star on SVU before I got the Rollins role. And I played Kara. <laughs> and all of my scenes were with Ice-T in that episode. Me and him just... We just get along. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, we, yes, we do get along. Yes, there was always chemistry. And it's a very deep sweetness that he has that I think comes across in his relationship with Rollins and also later with other characters. But I think he he has a natural tendency to take, you know, take the youngins under his wing a little bit without getting too much in their business, you know, just going, I'm here for you, you know, like try and do the right thing. But yeah, I think it was it was just a natural kind of division, to be honest, as well, because they were seeing Danny with Mariska and me with Ice. You know, it was kind of a natural pair up yeah. there. Do you have like um a favorite ice cold fact that Ice T's ever told you? <laughs> oh, there's so many. We talked to Diane Neal and she was like, Ice T always told me, like, get your own money, like Make sure Sign the checks, checks are coming to you. Sign your own checks. And I was like, that's really good advice. Well, so I was wondering if there was one that sticks in your head. About just with money, it makes me think of um, don't count the boss's money. <laughs> and I'm like, excellent advice. You know, you worry about you. You don't worry about. Right. And another one is life doesn't get any easier. We just get better at doing harder things. Wow. <laughs> These but it was gems. every day, you guys. You don't understand. It was every day. It was my biggest regret that I didn't write and didn't keep just an iced tea journal on my desk to be like, like how there is there it is not for a today. coffee table book? There needs to be a coffee know. table book of like iced tea quotes. It's like begging to be made. Yes, it um, is. And I also really loved, um, we made a collage for your final episode last week. So I was, we were going through all these photos and there's a really cute one of you and Coco and your baby and mm. you guys like pregnant at the same time and stuff. And I just love that. It seems like you guys are all really tight. Yeah, it was, it was up. such a, it was such a beautiful set. Um, especially before COVID, you know, like we, we had kids and dogs running around and Coco was there all the time and. Like I would go hang out with her and it was, it was such a beautiful, beautiful place to go to work. Yeah. Well, another thing that's beautiful, your messy updos and your outerwear is something we talk about a lot. I can understand why I'm going to say, I'm going to accept that and just be like, I, I know what you mean, but I appreciate the appreciation for the messy updos <laughs> because, you know, it's, I, I, I do. I just appreciate the, that you guys noticing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the I feel like tops. Yeah. Well, this season, like 13, like when you're looking at this episode and stuff, it was just a lot of kind of like your hair down and a little bit more like plain. And then as it moves on, it's like she's getting a long, gorgeous peacoat, a messy updo. Like just your your style was really <laughs> evolving. I don't know if it was like she was making more money with the department or whatever, but uh, the style was really evolving. Um. Yeah, the the outer the outerwear for Rollins I've got serious envy for. I ended up buying buying copies of few codes because I just had to. I was like, these are so great, I have to yeah. have it. And yeah, the the messy updos were kind of uh, I'm I can't sit sit still for that long in hair and makeup. <laughs> like I, I was like, okay, if it's over this episode, let's just throw it up, okay? So hair and makeup takes seven minutes instead of instead of like forty five. Um, so that was kind of a product of that. 
Oh, that makes sense. So you have something and to plus, do with it. Plus, right. But she's also, you know, she's a cop and, you know, she's, it's like, it, right. it makes, it makes sense that she doesn't have perfectly straight, you know, coiffed hair. Yeah. Coiffed. Is it coiffed or coiffed? Coiffed, I think. Kara's <laughs> good at that. I don't know words. Because it's from French, I, but. Well, wait, coiffed. speaking of fashions, we want to talk about the dress, the wedding dress. Obviously, we just, you know, we we got a peek of it before because, you know, people release the photos. And then we saw you in this dress. Did you get to have any input into this? Or do you just let well, the costume people Chris, do their thing? No, of course. Of course, I had input. But um, <laughs> I sent I sent the costume designer, Chris Ann, um, I sent her a few dresses. And she was like, oh, wonderful. Great, great, great. So she got them. And she also had a few that she had picked out. And I went in for the fitting and I was like, what is this? And she had bought one and it was that dress. I tried it on. It was the first one I tried on. And I go, I think we found it. (laughs) So that, because they know my style. I like the, I like big sleeves and like, I like the, I thought it was, I thought it was very fitting to have like something very plain and matte. Um, But, but, you know, cause it's just a courthouse wedding. Right. But something, it just seemed very Rollins to me. I like to imagine what she's going to wear to the Staten Island wedding. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that the mom's going to, like, Serafina Carisi is going to have more of an input and be like, there's not enough. It needs to be bigger. I want more There's clips. a veil. Yeah. There's a yeah. veil. There's extra hair. There's, yes. There's a train. For sure. Oh, God. And For a, sure. a table Jessie, of cannolis. Jessie I think there's Billy a chocolate fountain. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a chocolate fountain at the reception. I got to tell you. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, getting should we get into this last episode that you're the final episode now that we're talking about the dress? Sure. Unless you want to talk about Beverly D'Angelo, because. Well, we do. God, but we're, also we're talking to her this we're week. We're talking to her on Friday. You guys are so lucky. What should we she, ask? We know. Do you have any? We what know. should we give us some tips? She, you should you should have her sing. Okay. Yeah. Writing, Casey, write it down. <laughs> Amazing. That's I mean, awesome. she's like an icon to me. Like, I'm obsessed yeah. with her. So I'm I so excited. I love her that. so much. It was yeah. so fun to meet her. And I was just like this, you know, I was like wide eyed and just listening to everything she had to say. And she's so brassy and and so real, but like has had so many experiences that, you know, it was really, I felt really lucky to, to get to play with her. Oh, and your mom, Virginia Madsen, that was... So great. I was so pregnant when she was on the show. I had a baby shower and she was at that. She was at the the baby shower. And then we had a scene in Bryant Park, just a little behind the scenes. I was like, "Um, my baby is about to come out. So (sighs) I'm going to have to leave set and call the doctor. (laughs) It's like, I I swear to God, I was like, I don't know. I, I, she goes, okay, well, um, are you good for right now? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm in Bryant Park and her office was nearby. And she goes, well, if you're okay for right now, why don't you finish up filming? And then, and I, and I said, and then I'll come by your office. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> and I think she, I, I mean, it was like, I was like, oh my goodness. I, I, I might be having this baby very, very soon. Cause I worked until the very last second on that show. Yeah. I was, you know, 
were both the pregnancies written in or were was there yeah. some hiding? To, yeah. yeah, they were both how it yeah. is. Okay. And were there like funny big props you had to use? Like, do you remember any silly hiding tools or you never had to? No, I never had to hide it. Yeah. I just, I, the, the crew, like they would, they, they sent me pictures of like me napping in certain places. Like I would just be splayed out on the grass, like in front of whatever house we were at, like, you know, just catching with my big belly, just sticking up. So. And your character is like so wild because she's always just like, put me in, like, let me go in the field. Yes. And it's like, you're you're eight months pregnant, woman. Like, exactly, exactly. She Begging just cannot sit at a desk. I guess how you can't sit in hair and makeup, Rollins cannot sit at a desk. Yeah. How much of you do you feel like is in this character, speaking of that? Like, do you feel like as time went on, it, she she morphed with you more? Or like, what do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she... We both grew up. We both became mothers. We both like it's you know you settle in and in this last season you see her recounting what it felt like to have a gun in her face and to to realize that she's not only is she missing out on Billy and Jesse growing up a little bit for her it's it's like putting putting herself in danger um, to what end and for me it was like you know I. I got to see my kids, you know, a lot, but, um, it did resonate with me, you know, with like, there's definitely more time. There's definitely more energy. There's definitely more things I could be doing at home. So we kind of culminated in, uh, to be at the same place, uh, Rollins and, and me. So yeah, we definitely settled down together and got priorities, um, kind of shuffled around. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Rollins being able to, and it, they touched on this on that last episode, but Rollins being able to finally like accept love into her life and was just like a beautiful journey. Because yeah. I remember, what was that? Was it intent where you went off and like had sex with the bartender instead of kissing Carisi? And it was just like, ah, oh, it was just such <laughs> a like fr- not frustrating moment but it was just like amazing when you find like Rollins finally let the love in <laughs> I know I know and I just I just celebrated my first um first anniversary with with my husband uh Bo and so and it's just like oh my god it's this is how it is and this is how it can be and just so happy so happy and so I definitely feel you know on the exact same page with Rollins where it's just like, oh, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And look, look at how, how much somebody can love me and how much I can love them. Yeah. Um, final episode. How, were a lot of those tears kind of real and, and like, how was it to film with Mariska in the motel and in the office and those final days? You know, the, in the tears in the, you know, in that final scene between Rollins and Benson, I, I've been thinking about that because I'm getting, you know, like, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm getting this question a lot. Like, was that real? Like, yeah, of course it was real. But it, also seeing that episode today reinforced this idea that I had was, was that Rollins has been in that office so many times to be like, okay, here's what I did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um and and for her, like, I I really I, I was really feeling her that day because it, she she really took the reins in 
and moved in a direction that she really has hope for. And, you know, it's just like, she, she, she is choosing this. She's choosing the, the, this next route. And, and it's not like climbing up out of a hole. It's like going from, from sea level to like what, the mountaintop, you know what I mean? So it's not, it, it really felt different, you know? And like that last time she opens the door and, and leaves, you know, I was like, oh, okay. You know, like this is totally my journey now. You know, like I don't have to, I'm not beholden to what anybody thinks of me or like my past or my history or who's hurt me or who I've hurt, you know? So it was all of that too, in addition to, you know, um, Rollins leaving Benson and Kelly leaving Mariska, you know? So there was, there was a lot going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Was there part, like, um, did you guys get, was there a party? Did, was there anything no, like that? No, no hangouts. I said no party, no, no buy, no, oh. no cake, no nothing. I don't. want You just it. wanted to like slip out the back door. Yes, yes. Irish exit. Because <laughs> um, I would have lost it. I don't. Yeah. I didn't want to lose it in front of everybody. I just got to say thank you to the crew, which I. I mean, I miss more than anybody. You know, it's like. Those, the guys that we, the guys, women and men that we worked with are on that set. <sighs> I mean, they're so, they work so hard. Yeah. They work so hard and they put in so many hours and they're, they're still invested in, in making, story, telling the story, telling our, telling the story that we're, we're trying to tell. And it's just incredible. Their dedication and, and the quality of work that they put in. And so to be able to say thank you, um, that that was very important to me. But not not having a cake like, oh, thanks for twelve years. Here's your cake. Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> no, we've interviewed like a hundred plus guests from the show or people that have been on the show, and like every person talks about how amazing the crew is, how amazing like everything is on on the set. So I could see that being. Um, yeah, it's like hard to leave. Were you able to like feel the love from all the fans and like be able to see the messages and the outpouring of um the yeah. My gosh, yeah. It was crazy. It was intense, you know. I was like, wow, guys, you know, like this this feels good. Thanks. Thank you very, 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 very much. You know, the interactions with the fans that that still you know, blow me away the most, or I know me and the show are reaching people because I, you know, like you're walking down the street and it's like somebody comes up to you and they're like, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. You helped me through this. You're helping me through this. Um, or the show is helping and, you know, you're like, oh, that's, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so happy that there's relief or, you feel seen or me portraying this character is, has made you laugh or like given you hope or, you know, made you optimistic about your own future. So. Have you had any silly fan interactions on the streets of New York? Um, or any streets? Um, has anyone ever <laughs> thought that maybe you were still the character and got mad at you in the world? Oh, or oh yeah. I was in a casino. <laughs> I was in a casino once and they were like, what are you doing here? You can't be in a casino, Rollins. You can't do that. <laughs> I was like, no, no. 
That's amazing. That is so funny. I'm not the one with a gambling problem. I, Kelly, do not have a gambling problem, but thank you for your concern. That is so funny. Do you, like, we were, you were talking about at the beginning, like, how the show is, it's not that hard for you to get tears going because the show is so packed with, like, trauma and drama and things like that. Do you have any um, episodes that, like, really sort of stuck with you, like the subject matter or like anything where you were like, it was like hard haunting. to shake it. Haunting. We like to call, say, ask for your most favorite haunting Any, episode. But really never leave you. We have, yeah. like, cause I have a few episodes of the show that are just like stuck in my head forever as like ho- horrible, like scary episodes. And like, I was just wondering, but you're on set, yeah. so it's a different feeling, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, the, the Henry, the psychopath, the psychopathic kid, yeah. that, that was really disturbing to me. And I, I remember, like, um, I was doing a scene with um, Sherry Som, who was who was pregnant in real life with twins. She was kind of playing the bad guy, and I had to hold a gun up to her, and I hated it. I, it was all fake and all that, but it's still I like it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right when I when I stopped doing it. When it didn't feel right when I went home, and it was still just bothering me. Um, so it wasn't like a subject matter thing, but it was, it was a night where I was just like, I, I am, I can't shake, shake the scene, you know, but that was, that was, um, a, a very rare instance where I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't, uh, leave it at work because I'm very good at leaving it at work. Yeah. That storyline, that whole, um, under and with Declan and stuff, that was great. You got, you had such, uh amazing stories and it's just been a pleasure to watch well thank you is there any scoop or fun stuff you would love to enlighten us or the fans with like things that we would love to know about the show or anything little inside jokes on the set (laughs) (laughs) um like the chipmunk the chipmunk on rollins desk okay i don't know if you guys ever noticed it no i don't think there's a There's a chipmunk on Rollins' desk that I asked for them to get, like a taxidermied. Um, Because my dad, uh, who has always had a big, beautiful garden in Georgia, like the chipmunks would really destroy his stuff. So he would would, uh, get rid of them by by shooting them. Um, And so I got that to to like remind me of my dad. And I asked ice, I was like, I need a name for this chipmunk. And he goes, um, it's DC. And I go, Oh, cool. D- DC. What is that? And he was like dead chipmunk. I was like, <laughs> okay. That's good. A word. And they would also, they would also like dress him up like, uh, the camera department, Emily from the camera department, she like if it was Easter, like the chipmunk, you would see it have like a basket of eggs and like an Easter hat. Oh my um, god, that's like a great little Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. no pun yeah. intended. That yeah. I never noticed. That's so cute. Yeah. Are you going on vacation? What yeah. Is what's up now? What's the next Are plan you like- for you? France for a year? Are you going to... What's happening in New York? Coming out back out to LA. What's the vibe? I am staying in New York for right now. Um, And, you know, I'm... (laughs) It's like so not exciting. I'm like getting to go to the doctor and like getting my... Like painting my nails and like putting weird (laughs) stickers on them, which I could never do as a detective. So I'm doing it. Like just being a girl in that sense and I'm working out and um 
just spending time with my kids doing nothing. Um, and it, it's just such a nice time to, to, to be off of work, you know, December and the holidays and yeah. you know, it's cozy. Everything's cozy at home and <laughs> it's just a, it's a beautiful time. So do you have like future roles that you like have your eye on? Like what is your next thing you'd rather not be some like on a procedural or you'd like to like keep going with that or you're just open and whatever happens we'll happens. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not closing the doors on anything. You know, I've, I've enjoyed playing a cop. I've, you know, I love, I love being in New York, um, have my life here. And I'm, you know, there's so many things happening in my personal life that I'm just so happy and excited to, to experience, you know, that, that work is, is awesome, but it's not like, what am I going to do next? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I'm not there, you know? So. Yeah. No, I was hoping you were, yeah, you were just going to chill and enjoy time, life, relaxing. I'm really good at doing that because I, I just don't get bored. It's just not, yeah. not possible for me. Like I have a, have a bead loom going downstairs. My guitar is out. There's paintings happening. Yes. You know, get it's your like hobbies it's, on. I yeah, love it. It's, it's like letting the kids are it's it's so fun doing all that stuff with the kids so uh, we're just so happy you agreed to do this we really oh can't good it. This, yeah like, thank you so much for exclusive. taking the time we really appreciate it yeah thank absolutely any final things you any can final share? thoughts <laughs> yeah. no i just you know like this past like this past six months you know like since the fans found out Rollins was leaving, I, I've just, I've really been blown away by all the response and all the collages and all that, you know, like, <laughs> because I'm so not good at doing that stuff. So to see all the fans, like, they're so talented in doing all that, but all the support and all the, all the love, you know, that I've, I've gotten from, from all the fans has been, has been really, it feels really nice. Yeah, it's been incredible to watch. Yeah, people really connect journey. with your character and you really created somebody that people identify with. So Yeah, that your mistakes don't define you and Yeah, that's growth. a that's a that's a great Yeah, people have asked me like, you know, during interviews like what do you what do you want Rollins legacy to be? I, that's a good one. I like how you just put that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you, Kelly. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. She's so zen, but I am happy we made her laugh a couple times. It was so fun to talk to her. And wow, like, I just cannot believe, like, we got her and I'm so excited we got to talk to her. And well, I said it up top, like, it truly felt like we were like Diane Sawyer. I'm like, how did we get this exclusive? Like, how did she agree to do this podcast? So for those, you know, we are always in a time machine. Her last episode was like on a Thursday and we interviewed her that Monday. Like, from the last episode airing, we spoke to her four days later. Like, yeah. that is unheard of. I, that was just like a surprise and an excitement and it was it just felt really cool and also kind of her to do that because I'm sure it's like emotional to leave a job after 12 years um that wasn't fully her choice and um it's cool that she gave us that time because there could be lots of other things I don't know yeah and she's so like busy I'm sure and watched the episode before she talked to us which like we get much less busy people that are like, oh, I haven't seen that in 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah, and I, but I do love that she was able to feel the love from all the fans. And yeah. like, I also love that she was like, um, no, I gave the pressure to Danny Pino. I didn't need that yes. in my life. Like, that was so funny. Well, I think she fully turned us both around, too. When this podcast started, we were both like, eh, Rollins. Like, you know, typical Rollins stuff. But like, in the current episodes, too, it's been like fun to watch her really grow. And Well, like they fucked said. with us because she did really, or like, Awful. No, that she did really terrible things and made and made really bad choices. But then you see her history of like abuse and her family's um, mental illness issues, and uh, there and her boss assaulting her. There was just like so much, yeah, that she was going through and putting aside, and that's why she was defending bad men, and that's why she had addictions and like the relationship with her sister and wanting to help people, like. You know, the you got to grow with her, learn about her, and know her deeper. And it might be a lesson to all of us that if someone makes a mistake or acts a certain way or does something fucked up, maybe you don't have to if they're toxic. I'm not trying to give people bad advice, but like there's people more to people change that and can grow. journey yeah. and we can give people, you know, because Captain Craig in here could have said, fuck off. You're fired. That could have been like I mean, that could have been a perfect ex example of, like, somebody who's on the show for 10 episodes and then it's, like, it's not working out. Like, you gambled, like, you're a dirty cop, goodbye, or whatever, and... And she comes back, because what's funny is we were getting ready to interview her, so I was watching, like, um, Home Invasions on my laptop, but I had other Rollins episodes playing on the TV, and there was the season 15 gambling issues. <laughs> and so I was getting confused over which one was which, but it's like she went back into it, you know? Yes, but and, then... And she's gotten to make out with more people than I think anyone else on the show. We do, we dove a little into the flirting and the smoothies, but like she made out with Rapist Anonymous Guy, made out with Amaro, Carisi, the bartender from the South. Yeah. Um, there's got to be more. Is it just four? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, maybe we've only seen more boyfriends for Liv, but really... Yeah, but she doesn't always make out. Or no, we, we, you're right. We saw him make out with Henry Connick Jr. and stuff. Yeah, that, but that was a awesome interview. The episode was whew, a lot. I mean, I guess what's our what's our postmortem takeaway? Don't pressure your kids too much, or they're gonna fucking kill you. I don't know. Uh, like, well, listen, <laughs> like, don't like stop. Like children are people and you can't just make them what you want them to be. You have yeah. to accept them for who they are and guide or maybe like like be bumpers of the bowling alley of life, but you can't, you can't fucking. No, I them. want Rosie to be a mid-level advertising executive and that's it. That's what she's doing. That's my dream for her. That's what she's going to do. I'm forcing it. You know, and I always, you know, I talk about my sister um, positively a lot, but I do like that each of her kids gets to be who they are in their own journey. Totally. And she's like, one is an academic superstar. The other could care less. And they're able to do that. You know, one's not being forced to get A's if that's not the vibe. And yes. It's just rare. And it's not the parents' fault. Like, obviously, who knows that they were raising the sociopath who was going to, you know, get them killed. Right. But it's like the pressure, the this, you have to be, even if, even you have to be straight or do this religion or dress like this or do that or look like, it's like, don't have kids if you need them to be a certain way for them to get your respect. Yeah, and don't have kids if you feel like, 
when they confess something to you, you're just not going to believe them. Like, I can't believe the mother in the episode from Home Invasions. Like, it makes me feel like maybe it's okay that they blew you away. Like, your your daughter came to you and told you that your, her dad was molesting her and you just didn't believe her because you were, why? like, busy with your affair. Like, why would you not believe her? Your husband's a piece of shit. You don't even like him. You could tell from the first episode, from the first minute of the episode. I mean, and through our research, we know that this happens a lot in real life. Like, but yeah, believe your fucking kids. Yeah. You think it's, you think, you th- uh, think about how much courage it takes to like go to a parent and say the, uh, your fucking life partner that you decided to be with is molesting me. Like, yeah, yeah. What a courageous kid. It just, it sucks that she got caught. Yeah. But like I said, they're definitely, she, they're going to get her off. Her good lawyers are going to get her off. I but I don't want the it. brother's sister back in jail. I don't want any of them in jail. Those parents, fuck. Not Alayda. Though she's so funny on Orange is the New Black. Maybe that's what she's in there for. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of more Kelly. I love that. Like when she speaks about iced tea, it's like true love, you know? Yeah. Like they yeah. did really match. It seemed like a real great job to have. And congrats on 12 years. I don't know if we told her, like congrats on 12 years. I know. Years I was like congrats on, on a one hit year of, an- of wedding, but congrats on 12 years of being on a fucking hit show and developing this character that people are so attached to. Well, let's uh, move on to our What Would Sister Peg Do for this week, which is our weekly segment oh, where wait. we point you. I have one more thing to say. I do. I. You know what else? Um, I've learned... Big bandages around a head. I'll never get sick of it. Please, more bandages on more More all heads. the way around bandages, please. Lisa needs <laughs> them. It. Now you're going to have like it. a nurse bring you one at one of our next live shows. You're going to have to wear it. Um, all right, let's move into our What Would Sister Peg Do segment. This is our weekly segment where we point you guys to an organization, a book, an, a link, something that's going to help you learn more about what we talked about in today's episode. And... We thought if you were more interested in uh, the Jennifer Pan story, there is a book called A Daughter's Deadly Deception, The Jennifer Pan Story by Jeremy Grimaldi. Um, There's a lot of info in this case, and this book gives you a deeper dive into it. And he heavily researched this um, while it was happening. So if you're interested, uh, the link is in our bio, and I will also be in a story on the day this comes out and uh, saved forever in our stories highlight called WWSPD. On Instagram. Sorry if I didn't say Instagram. Thank you so much. Also, follow us on Instagram, but also we're giving you hard-hitting interviews, amazing um, episodes. Give us a five-star review. Write a nice little thing. Get those reviews going. Yeah, we need to counter the one-star reviews that say that, like, we name-drop too much and that Lisa hates me. You know? Give us a fiver, just if you can, if you haven't had a chance Yeah, yet. it's just um, all engagement helps us see people, and I feel like we're pretty chill. We don't, we don't uh, promote too much of anything, but... Please, um, you know, when you're up there, give us a five star. Even if you don't have time to write a review, we would really appreciate some more stars or four stars if you have some complaints. Okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be picky. <laughs> I'm not going to be picky. But if it's less than that, don't go on there. Uh, Keep no. it to yourself. <laughs> Tell a friend. Um, but next week we will be doing the episode Tangled Strands of Justice. That is season 23, episode 19. Um, and we cannot wait to um, give you more and more and more. Thank you so much. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. 
If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at that's messed up pod and on Twitter at messed up pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstar, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun-dun! Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.